I've been annoyed all morning because uh-huh. every morning has been like happy talk, happy talk, <laughs> happy talky talky, happy talk. Ah! <laughs> Talking about the things you do. Ah, it just—it's the fucking earworm of the decade that just somehow didn't make it to America. But we'll get to that later on in the episode. Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. I'm Marcus Parks. And I'm Carolina Hidalgo. So now we are on to part three of The Damned. The conclusion to the story. Is it really the conclusion, though? (laughs) Well, as we'll see, The the Damned never truly ends. It never does. (laughs) No one's ever going to close the book on this. So following the official breakup of the Damned in April of 1978, the former members, Captain Sensible, Lou Edmonds, Dave Vanian, John Moss, and Brian James, parted ways to work on projects of their own. Yeah, that's right, because Rat Scavies, he had already left at this point. Mm -hmm. And after the second album, Music for Pleasure, was released in November, they got dropped from Stiff Records right before Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Jelly of the Month Club. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They're like, oh, what else did we get? Oh, no. (laughs) And then Brian Brian James just, like, wanted to end the band. Uh, He split the band up. And this is, like, the part where all the members of the band are just, like, really sad looking out a window that's raining (laughs) and just looking out and just thinking what's next (laughs) well two of those members would return to a reformed damned in less than a year Lou Edmonds would go on to join Johnny Rotten's post sex pistols band public image limited John Moss would eventually join Boy George in Culture Club, one of the biggest bands of the 80s. Come on, come on. How does it go? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, chameleon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that's an earworm I need. <laughs> and Brian James would form Lords of the New Church with Stiff Baders of the Dead Boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really fucking good. It's like a you got a gothier Leonard Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> if only he were a little gothier. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Rat Scabies, who left the dam before 1977 was over, have been playing in bands like Drunken Disorderly, Rat Scabies and the Runners, the White Cats, and very briefly, the Vicious White Kids. The Vicious White Kids. So they all go together. You see, it's three bands. Mm -hmm. Vicious. I mean, because Sid Vicious. Uh, From the Sex Pistols, yeah. White (laughs) from White Cats. Ah, Rat Scabies. And kids from the Rich Kids. Ah. Steve knew he was <laughs> <laughs> he was in the band with Glenn Matlock and the Rich Kids Band, uh-huh. and so uh, so what they decided to do is that Glenn Matlock ran into Sid Vicious, and Sid Vicious is like, "I'm going to go to New York 
with my girlfriend Nancy, mm-hmm. who we know. Yep, Nancy Spongen, uh, who famously died in New York City a couple of months later, maybe a few months later, six months later, something like that. It was. Uh, they were on their way to New York. Uh, they were on their way to that trip. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Nancy Spungen ended up dead in the Chelsea Hotel. It's still a matter of debate at, to this day as to whether Sid Vicious killed her or not. Uh, and Sid Vicious died of a drug overdose about a week later. It was like, a few months later. A few months later. Okay. Yeah. So Sid Vicious is like, we're going to go to New York. Things going to be great. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Life is going to turn around for us, man. And then Glenn Matlock is like, hey, why don't we uh, put together, you know, vicious white kids, and we'll just do a one-off show to help fund your trip to New York. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> Glenn is probably really sad. Yeah. Uh, so they put the show together at the Electric Ballroom in Camden on uh, August in 1978, right? And they rehearsed with Rat Scabies, right, from the White Cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve New, Glenn, and Sid Vicious singing, and Nancy uh, backing vocals, but you know, uh, yeah. they, when they did the rehearsals, they realized that she really couldn't sing. No. So they she just... couldn't even talk. She has a terrible even speaking voice. I know. <laughs> so they just decided to not tell her that they didn't plug in the microphone. Oh. And, you know, the show went off. It was really fun. I mean, you can hear it on YouTube. Oh, cool. It's really, really good. Yeah, but uh, you can't hear Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) But Rats, Gabies, and Captain Sensible, they were getting along okay at this point. Captain Sensible went with uh, his girlfriend. They they showed up to the show. Actually, before then, they went to the bar, and they showed up with all these signs. They're like, oh, yeah, we were just uh, protesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they even brought it to the show and everything. It was, uh, they were... (laughs) It was the most ridiculous thing to protest. There was a young girls comic strip. Melody Lee, a a dancer she'll be, was just a comic (laughs) strip really aimed for like preteen girls. Yeah. But Captain Sensible loving all the preteen pop music stuff Uh with his girlfriend, they decided to go and protest that the comic strip had suddenly just ended after like a year. So Bundy's being unfair to its readers. <laughs> Took a lot of glitter, I'm sure. A lot of Elmo's glue, glitter. And they brought the signs with them. You know, they, but they still had a great time. Was, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, funnily, funnily enough, though, Melody Lee ended up being the inspiration uh, for a track on The Dam's next album. And the song's, of course, called Melody Lee. Captain Sensible had been playing in various bands as well, because he was now officially playing guitar instead of bass, as, he, as he'd originally done with the dam. Because remember, Captain Sensible was, first and foremost, a guitarist. 
He was playing in a band called King, while Scabies was with the White Cats, and neither band was doing well. No. <laughs> Rat Scabies is like, well, I'm a big star now. Let me, let me, you know, headline this really great band, the White Cats. And then, like, 15 people show up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's right. I'm just a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, from what I read, like, they called, like, Captain called up Rat and was like, so, how are the White Cats doing? Great, great, yeah, really, really, really good, great. Not so good, actually. Uh, (laughs) Like, so how's King going? Not so good. You want to get back together? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's how it was. And then they, like, they had to think of, like, who can sing? Let me think. (laughs) Well, we know Dave. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we... Ask Dave. <laughs> and Dave's like, I I don't know, man. I mean, didn't we just learn our lesson? And they're like, we'll give you tons of money. Lots and lots and lots of money. We'll throw money at you. And then we're going to have a U.S. tour. It's going to be great. We're going to have albums. And Dave's like, cool. And then he showed up and he's like, oh, you guys were just talking. <laughs> but that's fine. I'm here. I'm in it now. I'm in it. I'm in it. Yeah. So. Rat said, yep, let's get the band get back together. Got Captain in there. They got Dave in there. Because really, it seems like the only prerequisite for a band being the damned is to have Davanian singing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel it, too. Yeah. Well, as far as the bass went, though, for one shining moment in history, before the damned officially reformed under their original name, the man who played bass with this lineup was Lemmy. whatever you want about Motorhead, but Ace of Spades is awesome. What do you mean say whatever? Who's talking shit about Motorhead? Like Captain Sensible? <laughs> Rat Scabies? <laughs> like, yeah, we don't really, you know, we like we like the poppier stuff, but uh, but you know, Ace of Spades is good. I mean, yeah, Ace of Spades, Overkill, yeah, there's a ton of fucking great Motorhead songs. And ton were... of great motor- Motorhead albums. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, but like and they... Hawkwind? Boy, if you want to talk Hawkwind, boo, I can talk Hawkwind. <laughs> 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 and you know we all know Lemmy bassist and they're like a lot lifelong friends you know Rat and Captain and all of them I mean Lemmy one thing I did learn that I didn't know before is that why he's called Lemmy oh yeah because he used to always play those like little slot machines that they call the fruit machines in uh, London yes and he'd always be sitting there at the bar just playing them nonstop, and he'd always say hey uh, Lemmy a fiver Lemmy <laughs> Lemmy just five he continued that habit until the day he died the Rainbow Room in uh, in Los Angeles, you know, where they actually have like a Lemmy statue now. He had his own slot machine, <laughs> so he could and he just sit there and just play it, just constantly, uh, until of course uh, he died at an insanely old age. <laughs> I know. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. Now, originally, the band reformed as the Doomed rather than the Damned because they just assumed that Brian James had possessed the business acumen to copyright the Damned. Nope. 
<laughs> totally forgot to do that. Totally forgot. He didn't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, yeah, I thought of the name, but I didn't actually put in any paperwork. And besides, like, he didn't give a fuck if they reformed the dam. He's like, I've got other shit going on. Like, the damned is in my past. Do whatever the fuck you want with it. But regardless, because of this assumption, the damned played for a little while as the doomed. Yeah, they reformed. They played with Lemmy just a little bit. Just, just a, I think just, just one couple, show. Like one or two gigs yeah. only. And I mean, really, they just needed the money. They were broke. Yeah. So like they lost everything they earned from the damned already because they were getting like very, very little money anyways. Because as we know, Stiff Records, very small independent label. Yeah. And Triple D didn't really do that well. Not not that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a respectable showing, but like as far as like a return goes, like Stiff got none, uh, and Music for Pleasure had fucking bombed. Yeah, and Rat and Captain like were they were staying like together in a shitty apartment with like Captain sleeping on the floor, and he's just like yeah, there would there would be roaches that would crawl all over my face. Like it just it was not a fun thing. We needed to do something. We needed to get money and capitalize on the fact that so many fans were coming up to us and telling us we love the damned. Yeah. So it was really just a money grab. But they weren't afraid to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and so, like, they're figuring out, like, okay, maybe we'll go back to Stiff Records. Maybe we could just... <laughs> so they go to... Please! Da- yeah, please! <laughs> they go to Dave Robinson, who is, you know, the co-founder of Stiff Records, and they ask him for help with their newly reformed band. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, so Dave, we got a business proposition for you. <laughs> All right? You get in... On the ground floor on this one. Because you're, you're a thinking outside the box kind of guy. Yeah. And I think that you really want to get in the doomed business. <laughs> and Dave just looked at them and laughed and laughed. No, I think he guffawed after the shit that they fucking pulled with those guys. Yeah. And uh, so the, the guys were probably like waiting like for the elevator and still hearing Dave Robinson laugh. <laughs> and they're get like, the fuck out of here. <laughs> so they decided, let's just put these shows together. Yeah. And uh, just like just a few weeks after the vicious white kids show, they uh, put a show together at the electric ballroom again with their old damn songs, of course. Neat, neat, neat. New Rose. Yeah. Help. They're playing Brian James songs and covers. Exactly. And and a lot of covers from, uh, you know, Captain Sensible's King band. Mm-hmm. And uh, Second Time Around, which came from the White Cats. Mm-hmm. Now, Rap figured with Captain on guitar, all they really needed was a really solid bass player. And say, if we get a solid bass player, we can start working on a new album. Because, you know, Music for Pleasure had not been the best experience for them. Because uh, that was their first collaborative sort of experience. And everyone kind of came up empty. A little bit gun shy about that. So, yeah. they fi- so they figured, we get a really solid bass player. Captain's on guitar now. We'll fucking get it going. So Rat, his number one pick was Paul Gray. Uh, the guy who played bass with Eddie and the Hot Rods. But Paul Gray was unavailable at the time. Uh but they did have this guy playing in the doomed named Henry Badowski. And Badowski was okay, but Rat still wanted to get rid of him. He's like, he's just oh, yeah. not quite right. Well, he played. And he did it in the worst fucking way possible. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's many bad ways that rat ends friendships, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Henry Badowski, he played in King with Captain Sensible. So that's why Captain's like, I know a guy. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> so they start rehearsing together with Henry. And I, it was like one of the times where they were rehearsing at uh, Rat Scavy's parents' house where they decide, like, oh, let's go fuck with Henry. And then, like, they chased him down the street. Like, they made him run like a mile and they're running after him they finally like tackle him down and rat pees all over him and it's like welcome to the band but henry also had his own little things like he had a nice little party trick that he would do at these doom shows like he could drink a whole pint of beer and then throw it up into the pint and then one time he drank it So they're like, well, he has that and he plays bass. (laughs) Good for him. He only lasted six weeks. (laughs) And quickly uh, replaced uh, by uh, another one of Captain's friends. Captain keeps going like, I got another friend. I got another guy. Keep running out of friends. And they kicked him out in the world. Like pretty much how they kicked him out is like they were in the van playing like on their way to a show. And Rat Scabies just kept kicking him. Just kept (laughs) kicking him and kicking him and kicking him. And finally Badowski's like. I'm leaving. Well, they first are like, we're going to pull this van over and turn it right about around if you guys don't fucking stop fighting. So they pull over and they get in a fight and then they're like, yeah, this is not going to work. Henry didn't even want to stay there anymore after that. Yeah, of course. So they get Alistair, Alistair Ward. Yeah, Algie. Algie, yeah. He was only 19 years old. I mean, he was he was a lot of fun. Like, he could get along great with the guys for a time. Like, he was the guy. His, he had a catchphrase where he said, like, where's me hammer? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That, he used just... to walk around with a hammer. <laughs> that was his catchphrase? Yes. Where's me hammer? Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> Remember, I tried to do a British accent I before. Love it. I, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's working out great. So he would say, where's me hammer? Yeah. <laughs> And then biff him on the baco, which is my favorite one. <laughs> Whenever Algy would um, get like, a, there would be like an audience member like heckling or yelling right by the stage. He would just use like the end of his bass and just hit them in the head with it or in the baco with it. <laughs> biff him in the baco. Yeah. <laughs> well, Algy, I mean, he was actually in another fantastic British punk band called The Saints. Calling on a phone I've got no time to be alone Some are coming at me all the time You better think I lose my mind Cause I'm stranded on my own Stranded far from home Alright One of Australia's finest. Yeah. Oh, I, was, I mean, the Saints are fucking great. And actually, the Saints, uh, they released an album both before the Sex Pistols and even before the Damned. Like, they released an al- their album in, like, 1976. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Saints are absolutely originators uh, out of Australia. Al- uh, Algae is not... I keep trying, wanting to call him Algae, but it's <laughs> Algae. Yeah. <laughs> 
um yeah uh algae was um he wasn't australian no, uh, no but the saints moved to the uk in like 77 uh and that's when uh algae uh joined the band before he eventually joined the damned or the doom <laughs> it, at this point was still the doom yeah and so with Algie in the band, the Doomed went on tour in Paris, where Rat Scabies, among, among other things, defiled a priceless Gibson acoustic owned by supporting act Anti-Puss by presumably removing the strings before taking a dump in the hole. Ah, Rat Scabies. It's fucking, I think, that's what I really th- did think was like, did he take the strings off before he took a shit in the acoustic <laughs> guitar? Or did he take a shit on the strings and like push it through. We'll never know. <laughs> it's just the mysteries in life that one will of the haunt great us. mysteries of rock and roll history. <laughs> <laughs> well, anti pus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. P U S. If it was puss, it would be P U S S. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we well, had a long conversation with this at home. Uh, uh, we had a long conversation <laughs> about this at home. <laughs> Real name Julian Isaacs, but anti pus. Uh, he would go on stage and he would yell. I bet I could make all of you laugh. <laughs> and then the, the the audience would just be screaming like, yeah, right, you asshole. And then he would pull down his pants all the way to his ankles, and it killed every time. <laughs> just like, yeah, you know what? Very that was, good. That very was good. pretty good. Very good. Pretty uh-huh. good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> and on these shows, like, they would, like, trash the hotel rooms, of course. They throw bottles out the window. Uh, Rat even tried to show everyone how to make a Molotov cocktail, which <laughs> I don't know why he's doing this. I so, don't know. I've done shit. I did shit like that when I was his age. You made a Molotov cocktail? I've definitely said things. I definitely said watch this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so Rat, he he used a Coke bottle and he like uh, ripped off like strips of cloth from the hotel curtains and he like covered it in light fluid and he's like, watch this. <laughs> and tried to throw it out the window, but some of the strips fell out and so it caught fire to the rest of the curtains and the whole went, the whole hotel room went up. Like the curtains were completely destroyed. Fuck. So they had to like throw all the shit out the window. <laughs> Had to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it, the the fire would spread. Oh, okay, okay. They, I mean, they had to like take down the curtains, you know. <laughs> and then the cops were called, and Rat Scabies was arrested. Mm. And as he was taken away, seriously, like handcuffs and everything, he's like, "Do what you can to get me out. Just sell my drums if you have to. <laughs> Don't make me end up here because they were in France." Yeah. Algi and the promoter were also arrested. Everyone had to pay uh, 500 pounds in damages. Fuck. And then, <laughs> yes. And then I think their manager, Rick Rogers, who was their manager at the time, uh, promised that they would pay like even more money in damages. Uh, when they didn't pay uh, that day, they were rearrested and then taken back out. <sighs> Man. Which was like that's the problem though that the money they made for the France shows could barely cover all the damage they've done, so they actually lost money out of these shows. Curse of the damned! And Rat just described their antics as it was just fun. <laughs> I mean, we never put anyone in the hospital. <laughs> well, I, you know, they'd say the curse of the damned. You know, we talked about that on the last episode. I was like, man, why can't the damned ever get a break? Uh, it's, they tended they to, to uh, they tended to keep a gun aimed directly at their <laughs> own feet. Uh, <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> Why? Why? Well, after that, the Doomed went on a tour of Ireland, Belfast, Scotland, and Northern England. Now, for these dates, Dave Vanian 
just didn't show up. Because Dave, even into the later years, is kind of a notorious no-show when it comes to live gigs. Dave doesn't do anything if Dave doesn't want to do it. I know, and I'm the rest of the band, they get really upset, they get annoyed, but I like, as long as he's singing the way he sings, yeah. what can we do? <laughs> well, that, that's what they, uh, they say, is that they're like, what do you think about Dave? And at, even after knowing him for like 40 years, they're like, I don't know. Like, I don't really know him that well. No. <laughs> like, he doesn't want to get to know anyone. Yeah, he's so mysterious. He's very He keeps himself at arm's length uh, from pretty much everyone. And they don't ever really know what Dave's thinking. Uh, and, you know, on the de- on the shows that uh, Dave Vanian doesn't show up, uh, they tell everyone, like, hey, Dave didn't show up again. Uh, if you leave right now, you can get your money back. Uh, if you stay... We'll just sing. Yeah. <laughs> we know the songs. We'll just sing the songs. Uh, it'll be a different experience, definitely. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what we're going to be doing. So that's what they did. They uh, for, for these uh, Scotland shows, they got uh, a t- they got Gary Holton from the Heavy Metal Kids mm-hmm. to fill in. They even called him up and were like, we'll pay you. And he's like, I don't really know the songs. And they're like, don't worry, you can learn them on the way. He's like, great. And on the way there, he just drank like a bottle of whiskey yeah. and passed out. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but he made it on the stage eventually. And um, <laughs> I totally forgot the lyrics. Of course. Yeah. You're not going to remember the lyrics if you're wasted. No, of course not. And that's also like a, a very difficult thing to do, even for like the best singers, I to know. learn an entire show on the way to the show and then to <laughs> sing it well. It's fucking impossible. Like the damned at this point is singing songs that uh, aren't even recorded on albums yet. So they're I don't know what like playing on the acoustic guitar in the fucking van, being like, "This is how the song goes," <laughs> you know, like, all along. It's fucking. They gave him an impossible task. They really did, although they got mad at him because mm-hmm. he was just, like, humming the words he didn't know. Uh, t- I think he only learned the lyrics to stab your back. <laughs> so he just kept using the same lyrics for other songs. Well, the only lyrics to stab your back is stab, stab you all back. back, stab you all back. <laughs> I can see how he really learned that one. He got that one down. So um, I, 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 I do believe this is a rumor, though, that they got Gary Holton back. When he was sleeping, they decided to do the old shaving of the eyebrows trick. Oh, man. <laughs> but <sighs> the thing about the Scotland shows, since they were just going to have fun with it and just you're like Gary Holton's here, yeah. uh, they're just like, we just want everyone to know that Dave Vanian died in a car accident. <laughs> this is his tribute memorial show. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, they thought it was funny. I don't know if anyone else (laughs) noticed. Well, following that short tour, the doomed slash the damned finally got around to writing new material. And one of the first songs they wrote in this new iteration with Captain on guitar was one of the best songs of their career. Love Song. It's made a lovely day and it's okay 
love song about a railroad station. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, songs Just can mean... for you. <laughs> I mean, songs can you know, mean different things to different people. Yeah. Well, remember, Captain Sensible loved train spotting. He did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, now, he was trains, a big fan. Train spotting. Is it, it just what it sounds like? It's exactly what it is. <laughs> Look at that train. Look at that train. There's a train. I see it. I see I it. I like it. I've written it down in my train spotting book. Let's wait for the next train. That's uh-huh. ju- that's all train spotting is. And here's a love song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's turned into my favorite damn song. But yeah, the song's uh fucking great and it tells you exactly where the damned was heading with the rest of the album. Oh yeah, cuz this uh this single they they released it love love song as a single and it fucking blew up. Yeah. Yeah, they released it on uh, Chiswick Records because Stiff was gone. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember their Christmas present? Yeah. <laughs> well, the doomed once again became the damned after Rat's accountant father, John Miller, helped them secure the rights. And so, The Damned played an official comeback show at Croydon's Greyhound on January 7th, 1979, and appeared on Top of the Pops, which is the big British music TV show, a few months later as Love Song started to climb the charts. Yeah, they appeared uh, May 10th, 1979, and, and then again two weeks later. And then the the one two weeks later is a really fun one because Captain Sensible realized that he could actually get into the BBC costume department <laughs> and put on whatever he wanted to wear. Captain Sensible's uh, penchant for costumes is definitely starting. It's going on the upswing oh, at yeah. this moment. Yeah. And he found a wedding dress. So he puts it on with some Doc Martens and he goes in and he does a rehearsal. Everyone's loving it. And then the, the guys at the BBC, they're like, ah, you actually can't do that. But it's not. But the funny thing is that it wasn't like a standards and practices thing. It was we don't want you to piss off David Bowie. Because he was already doing a thing <laughs> with a wedding dress. There's too many people. <laughs> too many dudes playing, doing, wearing wedding dresses. We have to make a choice. We're going to go with Bowie on this one. Could you imagine Captain Sensible standing there in a wedding dress and like, really? <laughs> but it's, looks so it good. It looks great. <laughs> All right. I'll change. I'll change. <laughs> As far as the charts went in England in 1979, it sort of sounds like what happened here in America in the 90s. Now, while our charts were filled with your Nirvanas and your Soundgardens and whatnot, the late 70s British charts were home to Wire, The Jam, Motorhead, and The Buzzcocks.
definitely going to be getting into them when we start exploring the Manchester scene in a later episode. Manchester. <laughs> God damn, I can't do it. Very pretty downtown area. Very industrial outside. But even though The Dam's return was barely getting covered in the press, their shows were still all sold out. Because, yeah, the press was like, yeah, The Dam's back. Eh. But people still fucking love The Dam. The fans were there for The Damned. And soon after, there came the question of who was going to release the new album. Because Stiff, as we know, out of the picture. Well, Chiswick came in. Uh, we know Chiswick Records, remember, they tried to uh, sign them for the first album, but mm. it didn't really work out. Yeah. Well, they came back. <laughs> <laughs> and because Chiswick was checking out the shows and they saw how much of a draw they were. And they're like, all right, we're going to sign a three-year contract with you. This is going to be great. And also, by the way, nobody else is interested in you guys. <laughs> all right? You have a really bad reputation. Just stick with us. Yeah. And even though Chiswick and the band were happy about the deal, the damn were hard to handle still. Well, the damned continued to be hard to handle for years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Roger Armstrong, uh, you know, from Chiswick Records said, like, uh, about their antics, sometimes it was funny and sometimes it was not funny. Yeah. And like like one show, they were being interviewed by a sounds writer Sandy Robertson, and they were saying like nasty things and like how like Rat and Captain would compete to pull the ugliest dodgy boilers, like you know that's what they meant like ugly girls. Right. I mean, this is when they were just at their worst and most immature. Uh, and I mean, they they've since apologized. They've since very much yeah. They they took the Beastie Boys route and was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah we didn't we, we're sorry we didn't mean we didn't mean any of that shit. Yeah, it was very Jersey Shore. <laughs> Remember when they used to say grenades? Yeah. Like that's how they talked. Yeah, yeah. And but they're uh, very broy. Yes, yeah, yes, super yeah. broy. Yeah. And uh, you know, sounds writer Sandy, uh, he was just sitting there like listening to them talking, and they, Rat and Captain decided it'd be fun to throw some firecrackers at his pants, mm -hmm. and he had to like take off his pants because they were lit on fire, <laughs> and they were just like, "Isn't this great? Aren't... Did you why get that interview? What is it?" Anyone want to work with us? <laughs> <laughs> so after Love Song was officially a hit, at least by damn standards, Chiswick tried mashing up The Damned with Motorhead to record a single under the name Motordam. Yeah, well, I mean, why not? Get these two bands we got together and then they, maybe we can put them in a studio and then a lot of booze and what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's put the two heaviest partying bands of the time into one studio. Yeah, they're going to come up with something fucking genius, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> or they're going to get drunk and run up a tab in damages. Yeah. Motorhead originally were going to do Over the Top. That was their song. And then the damn were going to do Ballroom Blitz. Yeah, the cover of the Sweet song. Exactly, yes. Oh, we'd love that song. Love that song. Love the, And we, we're both huge Sweet fans, too. Sweet's the fucking best. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> oh, okay, so they were. Uh, they only got through uh, in the recording studio. I think they got through over the top once. Yeah. And then uh, the drummer, uh, Motorhead's drummer, Phil Taylor, uh, could not do it anymore. He's just like, the one time's good enough for me. He was like falling <laughs> off his stool. And Lemmy, and actually Lemmy ended up recording the bass for Ballroom Blitz because Algy was too drunk. Yeah. He had to go home. Everyone just started going home. <laughs> 
which you can actually hear some of these. Uh, they released them like later. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. They were released. On, I think it's like the special edition of like Machine Gun Etiquette, uh, ha- or it's either Machine Gun Etiquette or the Black Album uh, ha- has these. Ballroom Blitz is on the I Just Can't Be Happy Today B side single. Right. And uh, over the top uh, was re-recorded, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was put on another B-side single with uh, with with Motorhead. Yeah, and you'd like you'd think they'd be like, oh my god, the Damned and Motorhead together, like this is gonna be fucking great. They sound all fucked up, you know. But you can't get too fucked up in the studio. <laughs> you just can't. Or not at all. Yeah. <laughs> because everything else got fucked up. The furniture, the pool table, yeah. everything. I mean, although to be fair, Motorhead's managers did front most of the bill because it was mostly Motorhead's fault. Yeah, I, I so can see that. So we've heard. I mean, that's the thing about drinking when you're recording. Like, there is a sweet spot. Um, so, like, if you have like that, it's like that two and a half to three drinks where you're like, oh yeah, I'm fucking, I'm getting it, man. I'm there. I'm in the fucking pocket. Uh, and then drink four, you start falling out of that pocket. Oh, and then yeah. drink five and drink six because you think like, man, the more I drink, the better I'm going to play. Especially when you're younger, you know, especially when you're a kid, you don't fucking know. And these guys are all, they're all kids. They don't fucking know yet. No, that happens to me with uh, bowling and uh, small talk. <laughs> <laughs> So following the predictable debacle that was Motor Dam, the Damned went into the studio to begin work on what many consider their finest moment, Machine Gun Etiquette. What a great name. Such a great name. Opening with the previously played love song, Machine Gun Etiquette is the Damned truly coming into their own. Funnily enough, though, just like the first Damned album was partly made up of songs Brian James had tried with Bastard, Two songs on Machine Gun Etiquette were from the projects Rat and Captain had been a part of since the first breakup of The Damned. One, originally titled Second Time Around, was from Rat's band The White Cats, but it eventually ended up being the title track for the album and provided the title for the fantastic documentary about The Damned, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead. Finally figured out where I know that beginning part from. Da, 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 da. Hey! <laughs> yeah, they just totally fucking swiped that from Gary Glitter. Yeah, they did. Yeah. You shouldn't admit to swiping anything from Gary, Gary Glitter. Glitter. <laughs> the other repurposed song from the album was contributed by Captain Sensible, who'd been playing a song in his band King called Antipope. <laughs> I'm going back to church tonight Just like back when I was eight But I don't mean to pray I'm gonna make a collection play I got nothing against church I'm gonna be able to go there and shut them 
That was written by uh, Phil Burns, Captain Sensible's brother. Really? Yeah, he wrote that before, uh, like, I, I think, like, the sometime in the before they reformed, of course, when Phil Burns was in a band called The Cowards. Yes, he even got songwriting credit for it, of course. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the captain's like, okay, I gotta take that. Thank you. <laughs> I keep forgetting Captain Sensible's real name is Ray. Yeah, Ray Burns. <laughs> Now, that first recording session netted nine songs out of the 11 that would eventually make up the album. And while they waited to go back into the studio, the band continued touring the UK as kind of sort of pop stars with a band called The Ruts. What a great name. I love The, the Ruts. Ru it's a great name, great band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, well, Rat met the Ruts like a few months before, and they all became like the best of friends. You know, the damned in the Ruts. Yeah. The damned Ruts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they invited them. They're like, hey, come on tour with us. Because they always loved bringing new bands, like, to support them. Like, they did this special thing where they uh, liked to pick their opening bands by asking local bands wherever they were going uh, to send a postcard. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great idea. And then they would pick a band and be like, hey, the Nips, you are playing with us in Newcastle. And the Nips, by the way, that is not a made-up band. Nips is short for nipple erectors, and the lead singer of that band was Sheen McGowan, who later went on to help found the Pokes. That's right, and they did get to open for the dam. That's awesome. Which is so cool. So, I mean, as we were saying like before, when they were uh, touring with Sex Pistols with the Anarchy UK tour, uh, a lot of shows were being canceled back then. Well, this tour was no different. <laughs> All right, because the dam, they still had like their terrible reputation. Uh, they were banned from performing in plenty of venues, including Newcastle. No. Sorry, Nips. <laughs> Unfortunate. Uh, but it, it was because like the city councilor said uh, they were here a year ago and they used foul language and tried to incite the audience. If we allowed them to come back, people could get hurt. <laughs> Oh, oh, man. It's the counselors in England at this point are public enemy number one when it comes to punk rock. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't imagine having to deal with these old assholes every single day of my life. I, or my livelihood. Yes. Like like in the, in the Star Wars movies where, where the Sith is like, thou shalt not play here. <laughs> with their robes. I swear they're wearing robes. <laughs> But the dam were like, okay, fine. I guess we can't play Newcastle. I mean, just so you guys know, we're just a little bit zany. Uh, we play pop music now. <laughs> we're cool. But at the same time, the band would usually do lines of speed yeah. and drink a lot of uh, scotch and coke. It's funny at this point in the show, it's just like, well, at least it's not heroin. <laughs> <laughs> at the very least. At the very least. And this is when Captain Sensible is started wearing his like furry uh, jacket, his Okapi suit, mm -hmm. yeah. his, uh, his beret, his signature beret now, and a big blonde wig. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fun suit. And he wore it for years and years. Yeah. I mean, he still wears parts of it now to this day. I mean, his beret is still a thing. His son sunglasses he even said that sometimes when they were touring he would just take off his beret his sunglasses he'd go to the bar at the venue to grab a drink and he'd like overhear people listening being like oh yeah the damned yeah they sucked last year i hope they're good this year that captain sensible sucks too not knowing that captain sensible was like right behind him in line <laughs> which is great Oof. 
<laughs> but the ruts and the dam, they're always trying to like one up each other with their their prank wars. Mm-hmm. That's what we call them. Antics. Antics. I mean, they weren't so bad. Like Captain and Rat would like walk on stage eating like a sandwich or like fish and chips while the ruts were trying to play and like get like the whole crowd riled up. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or they just sit there and read the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine browsing like, ooh, let me turn the page here. <laughs> Yawning, looking at their watch. The ruts are trying to play really, really hard. And Captain Sensible just looks up from the paper and he just gives them a thumbs up like, yeah. <laughs> Way to go, guys. Yeah. You're Great. Pretty good. They were in Leicester, uh, where the drummer from the Ruts ran on stage as the damn play. Now, this is the best of the prank wars. The guys from the, the Ruts with the drummer, they were wearing burglar's masks and holding a big bag. And they just brought it on stage. They opened it up and emptied it all over. What was in the bag? Yeah, pig shit. <laughs> <laughs> They stopped at a pig farm on the way, <laughs> and they threw pig shit everywhere. And it was it was so much fun because they ended up having a pig shit fight. Yeah, uh, just throwing it at each other. The audience throwing it back at them. Uh, Captain Sensible's rolling around in it, uh, probably naked. Yeah, I imagine so. Uh, and then rubbing it in each other's faces. Like the <laughs> the tour ended actually right after that. <laughs> Was it because of the pig shit, or did it? Was it that just the last show of the tour, and they kind of did a last hurrah? Well, I mean, it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Because uh, the you know the cleaning crew came in, and they're like, "We're not doing that. We're not cleaning this. Uh, the damn better come here tomorrow to clean it up." And some sources said that they did. Oh, that's nice of them. I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really hungover. <laughs> Imagine. While the ruts had played support to the damned. The openers actually surpassed their headliner soon after coming off tour by hitting number seven in the charts with their single, Babylon's Burning. So following the UK tour with the Ruts, but before recording the rest of their third album, the Damned returned to America in 1979 to give our country a taste of the new and improved Damned. Yes, very improved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, from machi- from musically. from music for pleasure to machine gun etiquette, I would say much improved. Yeah, <laughs> musically. Yes, and they also caused a lot of damage. Of course. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Al- Algae fucked up the stage by like breaking a hole in in, in New Jersey, and then <laughs> and then a couple days later, they're in New York City, and Algae again breaks a full like a huge full length mirror by kicking an amp over it and hitting it mm-hmm. and it just all went crashing down Oof. yeah they uh the band had to forfeit their uh thousand dollar guarantee Ugh. so they could do their second show at hurrah okay so t- they had to pay the damages at the very least they pay the damages Why are they always in the red <laughs> <laughs> oh the curse of the dam <laughs> oh why does this keep happening to us <laughs> <laughs> and captain sensible had to deal with hecklers 
course, at the gig in, the, in New York City, uh, they would yell like, we want punk. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd yell back, you don't know fuck all about punk. <laughs> if Ted Nugent cut his hair, you'd think he was punk. <laughs> this is some punk. Now, here's New Rose. <laughs> you, you know, because Captain Sensible, he was not afraid to say what he thought. Of course. Uh, especially about America. Oh. <laughs> he called, he said some pretty foul shit about our country, yeah. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> their fucking catalogs and their fucking cheeseburgers. <laughs> he went he went a little hacky with it. It's like, yes, yes, everyone knows Americans love cheeseburgers. We all know we love cheeseburgers. He's just mad that he can't get a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to San Francisco, and this is really fun. They play uh, at the wharf. They get there. Uh, they even sprung for like a couple fancy limos because they're like, oh, we're big timing now. Uh, j- just kind of like living the life, the spinal tap life. And then they get there and they get dropped off at their cheap hotel because they spent it all on the limo. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they get to the wharf show. They sing a uh, ballroom blitz uh, as great big tits. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. It, yeah, yeah, they're having a good time. And uh, t- of course, Captain's calling the audience a stinking American asshole shit cunts. <laughs> endearing (laughs) (laughs) and then told everybody and how Jimmy Carter once bent over and put his ass to Captain's knob (laughs) and and he thought what a wanker that Jimmy Carter yeah I I mean the crowd were they they did a lot of heckling but they they also did a little bit of moshing they're like they were having a good time with the music yeah at the very least they did win over the audience at the very least yes especially with neat 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 although Captain Sensible was pissing off stage uh i, I mean uh, uh, his piss was going off stage <laughs> not piss, not going off stage and pissing but no pissing <laughs> off of the stage that's right <laughs> and then they do their encore and you can see this all on youtube it's the whole show this is the best part at the very very last minute of the show someone threw a metal chair at captain sensible and hit him in the back of his head and he was down for a few seconds. Okay. It was bad. Like, he, he actually had to go to the hospital for stitches afterwards. Now, something I found out recently was the person who threw the metal chair was actually Rat Scabies. <laughs> was, was that a secret at the time? Well, I think Rat just didn't volunteer that information yeah. <laughs> until... Many, many years later. Yeah. And then Rat saying like in an interview, being like, Oh, Captain doesn't know it was me. <laughs> <laughs> well then. <laughs> anyway, they get back to their cheap hotel with their limos dropping him off. <laughs> and they realize they can't afford the hotel. <sighs> so they're run- going down like the fire escape, holding all their equipment, their guitars and stuff, and slowly sneaking off to run away. <laughs> They're like, we'll never go back to New York, right, guys? (laughs) Fuck yeah, fuck this. No, we'll never come back. No, they didn't ever really think about the future all that much. (laughs) No. (laughs) But you know, I mean, Captain Sensible's like antics on stage and all the shit that he says on stage, like, like watching "Don't You Wish We Were Dead." Like Captain Sensible as a person fucking hilarious very very yeah. funny an extremely funny person like there's one part where they're doing a tour in japan and he's signing autographs for a bunch of japanese tourists and he goes oh, i'm johnny rotten and i don't care <laughs> <laughs> and there's another time where they're at like a panera bread or something and they're out of iced teas like up oh, because the damned like it's he's he's very funny but he's one of those guys it's very funny person to person but on stage 
It doesn't quite translate. Sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's not funny. (laughs) And he's willing to take that risk. He very much is willing to take that risk. I mean, it's not like he's going to open mics and like trying out his material. (laughs) (laughs) No. Now, because of all the antics and bullshit, the damned returned to England once again without management. Because Rick Rogers, who put in more than his fair share of time with the band left to manage another band who'd also just begun to chart in the UK. The Specials. song fucking great song i yeah. think that was the first special song i ever heard that's the song that made yeah. me fall in love with the specials yeah me too i was introduced to it because they did a little part you remember no doubt yeah i remember no doubt they yes. had this tragic kingdom you tour. Mean, i remember no doubt you remember <laughs> <laughs> they were the one of the biggest bands in the 90s when we were in high school and junior high of course i remember no doubt what a great memory. <laughs> so they're being doing... <laughs> annoyed by hearing don't speak every six fucking minutes on the radio and MTV. I agree with that. <laughs> but still, they, they made some really great music. And uh, during the uh, Tragic Kingdom tour, I think they did a cover of this song. And then that's when I started listening to specials. I'm like, this is really good. So, hey, one thing to another. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, I think it was on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack, which was actually pretty fucking good. Oh yes, fine movie. Yes, oh. but <laughs> like it's, it's a fun, pretty, fun pretty movie. mediocre movie, but great fucking soundtrack. And of course, we've talked on here about how important soundtracks were to us growing up. And so, since the Damned had no management once again, Roger Armstrong of Chiswick Records stepped in as caretaker so the band could finish Machine Gun Etiquette. The rest of the album was recorded at Wessex Studio in Highbury, and who else should be there recording what was also their best album but The Clash. Just a quitter, oh my god, a song Spanish bones, just a quitter, oh my god, a song Spanish bones, just a quitter, oh my god, a song Spanish bones, just a quitter, oh my god, a song 
Six weeks in my disco casino The freedom fighters died up on the hill They sang the red flag They wore the black one after they died It was Mockingbird Hill Back from the buses Went up in flashes Irish too Drenched in blood Spanish bombs Shattered the hotels A senorita's nose was nipped in the bar it's Yo Te Quiero. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mi corazón. I was actually going to ask you. like, Bothers as, me. As somebody who's Spanish is your first language, how rate Joe Strummer Spanish? You know what? It's not bad. It's not bad? Yeah, he says empanada pretty well. Empanada. That's as <laughs> far as it goes. He can order from any restaurant. <laughs> But yeah, so the Clash were there recording. I think their their studios, their recording studios were like uh, one was uh, on the ground floor and one was on the second floor, or at least there were one up from each other, right? And the Clash was upstairs, and they never really got a lot of work done when the Clash were there. Yeah, I mean they because they got along great. Yeah, I no mean, managers in sight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, none of the managers were there pitting them against each other. Like by this point. All of the animosity that had kind of been manufactured between them back in like 77, 78, that had all gone away by that point because both of the bands had grown. And the, the music bears out because The Clash is there recording London Calling, which is arguably The Clash's best album. And The Damned is there recording Machine Gun Etiquette, which is arguably their best album. <laughs> <laughs> so you say. <laughs> I said arguably. Yes. I had to, it's it's yes. absolutely up for uh, for argument. I know you have a different opinion. Than <laughs> yes, I, do. I came here for an argument. <laughs> but we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll put a pin on that for now. Yes. But uh, so the Clash, uh, they you know the two of them like the Clash and the Dam, they actually jammed together sometimes. Like they were having a great time. I mean, they they were jamming to like uh, their own Clash songs, or they were just playing uh, Rat Scabies playing on the piano, and everyone singing along drinking having a good time and then later realizing we should work <laughs> uh, they did not work too hard when the clash were around but when the clash weren't there they got down to it which yeah. is great except for the time when dave vanian got like a helium tank because <laughs> he he realized you could do that fun thing with your voice of course and they um filled up a condom with helium and then they drew like a caricature of like mick jones <laughs> and just let it float up into the air in their recording studio. So when the clash come, when the clash came in the next morning, they Mick Jones uh, and Joe Strummer, they were like, oh, "We are not amused by this. We're not recording anything until someone brings that down." So it took hours of them just throwing shit at it <laughs> to finish the album. My favorite story with uh, the Dam versus the Clash in the studio, specifically with Mick Jones, is that Mick Jones was uh, in a recording studio trying to get down the guitar part to London Calling couldn't do it just kept trying over and over and just kept fucking it up and he looked through the window and Captain Sensible was right out there with his own guitar playing it right <laughs> <laughs> not even a guitar part that he wrote or had ever really practiced he was just playing it right sitting there and smiling at him <laughs> The big problem that the Damned had in recording this album was Algy. See, like the Stooges, Algy thought that the louder and harder he played, the better. But since he had his bass turned up so loud, and since he played so hard, his bass strings kept bouncing and clicking on the pickups, which rendered his tracks 
totally fucking useless. Anyway, he was fucking trash most of the time, which meant that his parts were sloppy as shit. He wouldn't pick up his bass until he drank like a whole bottle of whiskey. Yeah. I mean, That's what they kept saying. Like, <laughs> the man liked to drink. Yeah. He was whiskey drunk an hour into the recording session every single time. Um, and because of that, Captain Sensible overdubbed almost all of his bass parts, meaning Captain plays both guitar and bass on Machine Gun Etiquette. Yeah. Pretty much the only thing Algy really did was uh, he played on Liar and intro to love song. <laughs> so called it played, a day. So he played the doon da doon da doon da doon da doon da doon da doon Yeah, so he did that. Okay, that's, like, that's... All right, guys, I need to go pass it. <laughs> and so with the album recorded and ready to go, the Damned released their second single. This song was far more ambitious than love song, and it hinted at what the Damned were capable of. See, as the Damned's career went on, they became masters, what I like to call the delayed, oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> Meaning that a lot of their songs start off pretty good, but kick in like a motherfucker about half or sometimes three quarters of the way in. Problem we have here on No Dogs in Space, though, is that we can't play the entire song. So this is going to have to be uh, something. Can't or won't? <laughs> can't. Okay. <laughs> so this is going to have to be something that you, as a listener, will have to discover for yourself when it comes to the damned. And we really hope that you give the dams full catalog a listen sit down with these albums and really explore them really experience them because they really are pieces of art in their own right but the beginnings of the damned writing songs that were truly something beyond a simple punk verse chorus verse chorus breakdown chorus song structure like you know neat 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 fan club um new rose all those songs this diversion was felt in the last track of machine gun etiquette smash it up song was covered by the offspring and you can hear it <laughs> on the soundtrack of batman forever batman forever that's where i we'll get into when i the first time i heard a damn song at the end of this episode that was definitely the second time i heard a damn song and uh if you want to go back and watch batman forever that song the offspring cover is when robin steals the batmobile <laughs>
The other car. Yes. All right. <laughs> Turn on your DVD players. <laughs> yeah, go give Batman Forever another fucking watch. Why not? <laughs> yeah, this is their second single, right? And they recorded this. Uh, I mean, they, they said like, oh, smash it up. It's completely banned by the BBC radio. It was like, no, no, the BBC just ignored it. Yeah. They did. <laughs> they, and But when they wrote this song, when they wrote this uh, smash it up, uh, it was meant to be a four-parter. Mm-hmm. You know, smash it up, part one, part two, three, four. Yeah, right now it's just, it, w- the way it is now, it's smash it up, parts one and two. Yes, uh, but part one was mostly uh, written by Captain. Uh, he was writing it at his house when he heard about Mark Bolin dying in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, like, really sad, so he, you know, he put together some music for it and everything, and then later an interview said, like, I didn't mean to call it smash it up. <laughs> Because of how he died. Oh, he died. He died in a horrible car accident. It was an accident. <laughs> ah, no, no. It was. It was. It, it was not intention. Not intention at all. Yes, but uh, Rats Gavies. Uh, he says it best when he said that the song had like this pop sensibility to it. Very much so. But subversive enough to not be mainstream. Yeah, it has like when you listen to the keyboard parts, like it's very old school. Like it's very like staccato, like dit, 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 you know. That's yeah. it's like almost like uh, the old songs, like Question Mark and the Mysterians, you know, like shit like that. Like it kind of harkens back to those older like '60s garage hits, and it's really fucking cool. It's very subtle, but it's absolutely there and danceable. Very, very danceable. And then they did the smash it up uh, music video for it. It's a cool video, but there was. Problems. There's, there's always problems. <laughs> I mean, the video is really fun, uh, but there were problems. Uh, Rat and Algae got into a huge fight. This was a big one. Algae spilled some of his drink on Rat, and Rat beat the crap out of him, while Rhodey held Algae down. I mean, this that's shitty. Yeah, that's really fucking shitty. But still, uh, Rat came out of it with a black eye. And when you watch the Smash It Up video... That's why Rat Scabies has a black eye. Rat said it wasn't a black eye. <laughs> it's obviously a black eye. He's like, no, no, I put some makeup on. I was trying to do a Clockwork Orange thing. <laughs> He's it's ob- it's he up obvi- to you to decide. He obviously got punched in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say Rat Scabies isn't all that great at owning up to things. <laughs> Especially when it's embarrassing to Rat Scabies. That's right. Uh, Rat, uh, where did gobbing come from? <laughs> Now, those of you who have heard praise for machine gun etiquette have probably heard it from the same dude you probably heard the highest praise about suicide from. You heard it from Henry Rollins. Which now I'm starting to think, like after doing this series, it's like, do I have the same music taste as Henry Rollins? Maybe. I, are you as exhausting as Henry Rollins? <laughs> I don't know. No. You're fucking married to me. Yeah. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> you know I love Henry. I love Henry. I, he's, love got, Henry. he's got great taste. He's got great taste. Yeah. Well, according to the book, The Chaos Years, one of our sources, Rollins begins every one of his Friday night record listening sessions with Machine Gun Etiquette. And when you compare the biggest hit of Rollins' career to a certain track on Machine Gun Etiquette, that claim becomes pretty fucking believable.
get that song six and a half minutes long. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, he was inspired. It's a great fucking song. Really cool video. Well, besides the more punk tracks like Liar, Antipope, and the title track, The Damned also wrote songs for this album that could be considered proto-goth, like the wonderfully mopey I Just Can't Be Happy Today. Wow, that song's so good. I sing that song all the time. (laughs) So do I. And it makes me happy. It really makes me, I mean, I think, well, that's the goth paradox, as they call it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, even though plenty of people contributed to the writing of Machine Gun Etiquette, every original song was attributed to Scabie Sensible Vanian Ward, meaning everyone shared equally in both credit and royalties from then on. No matter what the credits say, though, each member contributed songs individually, and each one reflected each member's personality. Dave Vanian, for example, with his love of old horror movies and bygone Hollywood style, wrote a song about a relationship, and this is adorable, wrote a song about a relationship (laughs) between James Dean and Vampira called Plan 9, Channel 7. You know, uh, Dave Vanian was a big fan of Mylon Normie, you know, uh, Vampira. Ah. Uh, he didn't, like, grow up watching her, obviously, because he's British. Yeah. But uh, his wife was a big fan. And, uh, I-, I mean, he just liked her style. He liked everything about her. He liked how outspoken she was, uh, how against the establishment she was, especially because she got fucked over a lot. Yep. And she didn't have a- a- an actual relationship with James Dean. That was all, like, a lot of gossip. No, this is they his... Just- sli- he's doing fucking slash fic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, if they got together, yeah. they just hung out a few times. <laughs> and then, you know, when when James Dean died, you know, Mylon Nermy 
was there with the crowd with everybody and the, you know they were very sad mm-hmm. uh, it, it was it was a sad moment for everybody yeah but uh the the cool thing though is that when they recorded plan nine uh dave made a cassette tape and gave it to a friend who gave it to myla nermy oh that's cool yeah she appreciated it. she's like oh thank you i like the lyrics i mean i don't have a tape recorder <laughs> but then they they like they met later and they're like ah what a nice lady. Yeah. And if you want to go, she's got a great headstone. Uh, she's buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a very, people still leave shit there uh, to this day. It's very cool. Yeah. So three days before the album was released, The Damned appeared on the Old Grey Whistle Test, which was the BBC's serious, stuffy cousin to Top of the Pops. <laughs> this was the TV show that the New York Dolls had appeared on, you know, six years before and as soon as the dolls had finished a fucking amazing performance the uh, the host said mock rock (laughs) (laughs) fuck you man (laughs) well then the damn came (laughs) and and you know a lot of times when they're getting ready to uh to perform but they're also miming everything because this is for TV yeah. they're just sitting around at the bar getting drunk which Dave Vanian did mm-hmm. very very whiskey drunk so drunk that he kept being like why does the microphone fall off my hand <laughs> uh, let me get some of that tape over here yes sir yes he just taped his hand to the microphone <laughs> <laughs> and they went on and they played uh, smash it up then I just can't be happy today mm-hmm. uh, Dave's vocals weren't very good that night unfortunately yeah. and captain's guitar was all over the place he he set it down to play the keyboard and <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't hear anything so he just played whatever he could and then like there was this big candelabra that just like fell over it was lit too and, and he just looked at it and was like i'm just gonna keep playing this and then of course at the end they smashed up all the equipment and walked off while annie nightingale goes all right <laughs> yeah I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some really cool old gray whistle test uh, performances out there, but it, it, it is very serious. Yes. <laughs> so after that performance, the dam set out on a tour in the UK, which was supposed to be supported by a band who had paid their own way from New Jersey just for a chance to play. That band was the Misfits. Fucking absolutely loves love the misfits. It's great. I mean, that is the exact same guitar part as Blitzkrieg Bop. But you know, we're not even gonna get into that. (laughs) Can I love both? Yes, of course we can love both. No, fucking yeah, love the misfits. So the misfits were uh, were slated to open the UK tour for the Damned. So they thought. Yeah. Because you see, they they met the Damned when uh, the Damned toured the US when they were in New York. Because the misfits opened for the Damned in New York City at Haraz. 
they got along great. Jerry Only and Glenn Danzig, they were big damn fans. Yeah. So they were hanging out talking with Dave and Dave's man and their manager, and they're like, "Hey, I think it was like Jerry was like, "Hey, do you think we could open for you guys when you when you guys are back in the UK and we could like you know we could do a little tour together?" And Dave's like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's do all this." But when the Misfits came to the UK, they found out that they actually made drunk plans with Dave. Uh- <laughs> you know drunk plans. Of course I know drunk plans. When you get that text like, hey, uh, what time should I meet you? What do you mean? <laughs> what did I say yesterday? <laughs> so, uh, because the damned already had a band opening for them, a victim. Yeah. Dave or their uh, their manager, they tried to squeeze him in, but the Misfits only played one gig. Yeah. Because at the end of the gig, uh, they found out like, what do you mean we're not getting paid? And the dam's manager was like, well, you know, we didn't know you were coming. Yeah. We were just letting you play. And the Misfits, I mean, they were just so disappointed and really sad about this. And, I mean, they went all the way there. They even tried to open for The Clash. They waited around for that. They didn't get a call. So they just kind of hung their heads low and just went back home. Yeah, that's really that's very unfortunate for the misfits. Yeah, I mean, just because they gave him a date and everything. Be yeah. here at this date, like, and didn't didn't Glenn Danzig like show up at Dave's apartment like yelling at the window, be like, yeah. "Hey, we're here!" Yeah. <laughs> Dave's like, "Fuck!" <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just putting on my slippers. Uh, call my manager. So the dam finished the tour with Victim, not the Misfits, by the end of the year. And on New Year's Day, 1980, Algae got a call from their manager uh, saying that Algae was sacked. Yes. Sacked. Fired. Gone. <laughs> no more. Because the guys were really annoyed at Algie's, like excessive drinking. Yeah, he just drank too much. Yeah, I mean, they had they had enough, especially since the fight at the Smash It Up music video taping. And it came to a surprise to no one. But Alki, yeah. for some reason, he was just really sad. He's like, oh, I, I had such a great time like, kind of being famous. and But, you know, it's time to move on. He moved on with a band called Tank. Uh, still making music, so it's all good. So he went from the Saints to the Damn to Tank. You know, good for you, Alki. Yeah, good for you, Alki. And so with Alki out of the band, the Damn needed a new bassist. Technically their fourth, if you count Captain, and their third since getting back together. And again, Rat wanted Paul Gray from Eddie and the Hot Rods. And I'll be damned if they didn't finally get him. And the damned welcomed their new bassist with a nice, relaxing British holiday boat cruise. (laughs) It wasn't so much as a boat cruise as they just hired this boat <laughs> like just a, just a random boat it's more a boat ride it was a boat ride yeah, for, but for I, like a week yeah but i would say if you're on a boat for a week it turns into a cruise if you, <laughs> unless you're fishing if you're on like a fishing trip you're on a fishing trip but if you're relaxing on a boat for a week even if it's just on down the river that's still a cruise yeah well okay they cruised <laughs> because chiswick records was paying for it so why not why the fuck not so paul gray he meets up with the band and he, you know he has, he's like i got my bass i got some sheet music let's get this going and they just laugh at him they're like send that home <laughs> you think we're gonna do work here no, no. that's not gonna happen so they they all like just get into this boat. And they're having a great time. They they brought like just beer. I, I don't even think they brought food. Uh, they brought uh, an air rifle, and uh, they, I mean they were just going from like uh, down the river, down from like one pub to another. So it was a water pub 
crawl. A water pub. Okay, a water pub crawl cruise. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they're having a lot of fun. They're, like, throwing, they're grabbing these plates and mattresses and just throwing them overboard. Uh, or the fun one where uh, I think it was Captain Sensible and Rat Scabies where they, they were throwing a plate up in the air and they're using the air rifle to shoot these. They're like, Paul! <laughs> Man, that was a pretty good one. That, yeah. was, that was good. Very good. And, and Paul Gray, he said, like, he passed out the first night. The next morning he wakes up. He's like, hey, where are my boots? Where and he just looks out the window and he just sees them just going down the tide on fire. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "All right, this is the band. This is the band I'm joining." Okay, cool. Uh, they were there for six days, partying on the boat. They dumped it somewhere. Uh, they called the boating company, telling him, "Oh, it broke down. Yeah, it's it's over here." Okay, <laughs> and then just ran away. Cheswick got a letter from the boating company, sternly asking for money for the damages. <laughs> <laughs> and and they will damn well keep the deposit too <laughs> and more so after Paul Gray was brought into the band the damned almost immediately got to work on their follow up to machine gun etiquette which in many ways was an even bigger departure from what they'd originally played on Triple D with Brian James see while the damned were still without a doubt the damned stylistically and always would be they started sounding somewhat more of the time particularly with their lead-off single, History of the World, Part 1. synth on that yeah i do hans zimmer yes he did i mean that guy you know the guy the guy who did the a couple movies he did the score for a couple of movies and by a couple i would say like three dozen (laughs) (laughs) amazing guy great great did all of the uh christopher nolan batman movies like that yeah it's it's hans zimmer Everyone yes. fucking knows Hans Zimmer. Uh, a little piece of advice. If you want to go on an adventure, but you're just running errands, <laughs> put on Hans Zimmer and you're seriously like get into it like you're in a movie and you're like, ah, I need to find toothpaste. <laughs> this is not a new thing for Carolina. I'll tell you. She told me this like the first week where we're dating. This is a soundtrack of my life. <laughs> so Hans Zimmer, he also got co-producer credit. Uh 
as well as the song of for Lively Arts because mm. he also played the synth on that. Hell yeah, Lively yeah. Arts is a fucking great song as well. Oh yeah, and I mean like they, uh, they actually got Han- Hans Zimmer was just a guy. He was a hired gun at that time. I mean he did the Buggles, uh, he, you know the video killed the radio star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean at that time he. L was- Street is also a great Buggle song. It's a highly underrated one if you want to check it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean they got him to do it, and then it sounded great. Uh, there was this really well-known Scottish musician songwriter B.A. Robertson okay he actually was recording in the studios at the time or nearby and he helped out the guys and wrote the melody to History of the World Part 1 oh that's cool Captain's like thank you <laughs> I only had the backing sequence I needed to put the song together God thank you you're here thank, thank God that you're here thank you mysterious Scottish man thank you I'm sorry that we're not gonna credit you this so now, the interesting thing to me personally about History of the World Part 1 is that upon first listen, I thought that this song was a total fucking ripoff of German pop opera singer Klaus Nomi. But upon looking into it, I found that the Klaus Nomi song that reminded me so much of History of the World Part 1 was released two years after. And if you've never heard Klaus Nomi, oh, oh. let's just fucking listen yes. to it. It's just, and you'll hear the similarities between the two. And it's another example, possibly of the dam's influence over music. What a tour de France. It's <laughs> a Golden Girls joke. I didn't write that. Well, I'd imagine, like, Klaus Nomi, he's one of those guys that I, I, I wouldn't even say he's an acquired taste. I think upon first hearing Klaus Nomi, you either think this is fucking amazing or you hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's like cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> The cilantro of music. <laughs> yes, I mean, because I love Klaus Nomi. I, I first heard about him when I wa- when I watched the uh, decline of Western civilization because right. he was uh, he was in it for a little bit, and then I was like, I need to know everything about him. On YouTube, there's a really cool documentary called The Nomi Song. If you want to check it out, because it's him like in the New York scene in the '70s, playing alongside all the greats, also playing with uh, or singing along with uh, backing vocals for David Bowie when he did uh, SNL. Yep, yeah, yeah, that that's where that's how most people 
people in America knew Klaus Nomi was like he was that super weird guy in the background singing backups with David Bowie. <laughs> no, the other super weird guy. No, 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 no. no the, uh, never mind. If you look up a picture of Klaus Nomi, you're immediately going to fuck it. Like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Especially if you're a Venture Brothers fan. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was one of the. Yes. That's a deep cut. Yes. That's, that's a, that was a deep cut. But yes, Klaus Nomi and Iggy Pop as David Bowie's henchman. It's one of the best episodes of fucking. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best episodes of any cartoon ever, but I'm just a big Venture Brothers fan. But the cool thing about the Damned is that by their own words, they were always about musical expression so long as it worked. Every member of the band came in with their own ideas, but when they all came together, it always sounded like the Damned. Always. And it's not just Davanian singing, because Davanian does have a very distinct voice. He doesn't, nobody sounds like Davanian, but it's the style. No matter what, throughout the years, a damned song is always a damned song. But while the band was working out the next phase of their musical evolution with Paul Gray, the damned had to keep touring to support machine gun etiquette. And they damn near got themselves thrown in jail in the process. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really their fault. It wasn't their fault at all no. this time. This is the one time that it's not their fault. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they started their month-long tour in mid-April of 1980 in the Netherlands and then to Italy and eventually Paris, France. Uh, what the damned and their managers didn't know was that for their trip from the Netherlands to Italy, their road crew had smuggled drugs to Italy. Hard drugs, too. Hard drugs. <laughs> so the band members and Tommy, which was their tour manager, uh, they get to tour in Italy. And then the next day, the road crew's truck that finally got there mm -hmm. uh, was all smashed up completely smashed up and they were just like the crew freaked out like they didn't I mean the band didn't know what was going on the crew just left they went to Switzerland <laughs> <laughs> it's like World War One shit <laughs> you know <laughs> and then so the crew called Rat and told him like get out get out of Italy right now you're gonna you're gonna go <laughs> why but why the mob the mob is after us they were right. Yes. Like they, were, they were absolutely telling the truth. The truck smashing was done by the mob. <laughs> so Rat's wife, uh, Vivian, uh, she spoke Italian. So she got like a, a gist of what they were all talking about and stuff. And she's just like, uh, apparently uh, the mob were trying to get their package um, uh, delivered. And they didn't blame the band, but they were going to let them go as long as they got their package from Am Amsterdam. That was when the whole band were like totally freaked out and scared. Of course. They're like 20 minutes from being in green room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I tried to get more <laughs> details on this and there are not many. So apparently it, it all went out without a hitch. Yeah. Eventually. That, very lucky for them. They sorted it out. <laughs> So after coming back from that tour, the Damned rented a space at Rockfield Studios in Wales, the same place where Bohemian Rhapsody had been recorded just about five years prior, and they got to work on what would eventually become the Black Album. Yes!
that's a delayed off fuck yeah right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Once that chorus comes in, oh man, they just were so fucking good at writing choruses. Uh, yeah, uh, Billy Karloff, he shared a songwriting credit for this song. Yeah, because... You Who's know, Billy Karloff? He was in the uh, the Extremes. Okay. Which they knew, because they, the Extremes opened for the dam before, and uh, you know Rat's dad like managed them and everything. So they all knew each other. And Bi- Billy Karloff was there a lot, because Dave Vanian, as we know, very unreliable, wouldn't show up. So Billy's like, I guess I'll sing in for these demos. Yeah, so yeah. he ended up helping writing the song, <laughs> you know, the melody, and Captain's like, all right, I'll take care of the middle break. Uh, but uh, also, like, another little fun thing about Wait for the Blackout, I think it's on a soundtrack. It's on a Chris Farley's, uh, I think it's on the... Is it, in, is it in Black Sheep? Black Sheep, I think, or Tommy Boy. It's not Tommy Boy. I oh, know it's not Tommy Boy. It's in Black Sheep, <laughs> And it's covered by the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> oh, no! Oh. Yeah, they they put their own stamp on it. <laughs> Let him. So, when they were recording the Black Album, they went to Rockfield Studios, like you said, uh, which was like a nice countryside studio where they could stay there and record no distractions. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, no one knew that the damned word the distraction. <laughs> Like the actual band. Yeah, of course. They're distractions to themselves. Yeah. Chiswick, they sent Alvin Clark to uh, to Rockfield to produce their album. He didn't last. No. No, he didn't last at all. Uh, he was just like, okay, everything sounds good. Okay, I got to run away. What, what are you doing with that rifle? What are you doing <laughs> with that? You, you know what? I'm going to go. Yeah. I mean, pr- produ- producers with the damned or managers with the damned. It's uh, like that episode of The Simpsons where like the babysitters keep coming through because none of them <laughs> yeah. could handle Bart. It's the same thing with the damned. And Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> And Calvin, Calvin as well, yeah. It's Calvin, Calvin Hobbs. and Hobbs, yeah, yeah. So uh, they need a Rosalind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the band were like, we want to produce this ourselves, guys, which actually turned out to be a pretty good idea. <laughs> they got their sound engineer, uh, Hugh Jones, on it, and he was stuck working with them like almost twenty four hours a day. Yeah, because I guess when one person's asleep, another person wants to do shit. Rat and Paul worked during the day, and then David and Captain would knock on Hugh jo- <laughs> would knock on Hugh Jones's door at night with some bottles of wine, and be like, "We're ready to record." <laughs> and of course, at Rockfield Studios, they egged the kitchen, they shot grapefruits with a shotgun, they made a mess. Luckily, the owners were pretty cool about it, and so that, that they were totally fine with it. Yeah. Uh, well, they under. I think they understood what business they were in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they knew like these guys were just going to be running around doing all kinds of crazy, creepy shit. Like uh, when Dave Vanian decided to go for a nice walk in a cemetery and just walking in his like regular, you know, black gothic outfit. Of course. Just down, down the road <laughs> while somebody in a car just driving with their headlights on just kind of careens off and starts screaming because <laughs> they saw the ghost of a vampire in the cemetery. Yeah, it's uh, there is definitely some debate as to whether Dave Vanian is the source of the Highgate vampire. Uh, <laughs> uh, from uh, the last podcast, there's there's some. It's either Dave Vanian or one of the guys from the Buzzcocks. I can't remember. The Highgate. Uh, What's a Highgate? Highgate Cemetery in London. Not necessarily this in particular, oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there is one of the British punks quite possibly could be the source of the Highgate. Could have been the Highgate vampire. <laughs> yeah, because Dave Bainey <laughs> or- said he, uh, he saw in the paper about some woman like 
kind of careening off the road and freaking out and stuff. And he's like, oh, that was me. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm just not going to say anything till around 2014. <laughs> For decades. No, no, actually, this is the one where like Dave got kind of got in on the antics a little bit. You're like, do, you know, finally, the, yeah. Do, you know the shotgun story with Dave Vanian? Oh yeah. <laughs> with, with Dave Vanian, like he uh, was kind of tired of everyone's shit, so he took a couple of shotgun shells, removed all of the pellets, and then essentially making blanks out of these fucking shells and fired it directly at Captain Sensible. <laughs> <laughs> he fired it at them, a Captain Rat and Paul, because they decided to play a prank on Dave. They called him up while he was like at home for the weekend and they're like, oh, we totally fucked up your vocal track on Dr. <laughs> Jekyll, on the master. Yeah, you're going to have to do this whole thing again. And Dave grabbed his shotgun. <laughs> And they freaked out because they didn't know that he was going to fucking prank them. Good. It's finally they, they get a taste of their own medicine. Just a little bit. But, you know, while they were there, they were still trying to figure out cool new experimental ways like to make the noise, to make the sound. They would play piano strings on drumsticks. They would uh, be cutting out chunks of tape, turning it backwards and then taping it back again, uh, you know, like just doing whatever they can. They're just going through all the drawers and trying to make kind of new instruments that they wanted to. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're in a recording studio like that, like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, just have fun with it. Yeah. Just take whatever you can and make something out of it. And Dave Vanian, like he's finally like coming on his own. He's like he wrote most of the lyrics to the songs, too. <laughs> you know, his voice, his lyrics, they got darker yeah. in a sense, you know, and they just they went with it. Yeah, they absolutely went with it. And Black Album, this, this is your favorite Damned Album. This is my favorite Damned Album. Oh, I yeah. have to say it because I, I can listen to it all the way through without doing anything. Yeah, it's a great... It's, it's so hard a, to, for me not to do anything. <laughs> it's very difficult for you to not do anything. When they were recording the album, uh, they they said they got like a lot of influences from like garage bands from the 60s and classical music, of course. Uh, they used a, a little piece of music from a Rimsky-Korakov mm -hmm. a little bit. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. And, uh, you know, Dave being into horror, goth, you know, you know, all the film music that he likes to do. Of course. And uh, like... 13 Floor Vendetta, which I love. It's And Dave calls it his favorite song. Really? Yeah. Well, Curtain Call was his greatest achievement. 13 Floor Vendetta was his favorite song. That's really fucking cool. Well, let's listen to it. Yeah. The I could see how that'd be Dave's favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> it sets a mood. <laughs> but perhaps the shining moment of the Black Album comes at the very end, 
clocking in at 17 minutes. The last song was unlike anything The Damned or any other British punk band had ever done. And even though they figured their fans were probably going to fucking hate it, Curtain Call ended up being quite possibly the best song on the album. We're coming up from the deep The lizard sheds its skin Like, Curtain Call was a project that took a while. I mean, Dave Vadian started in his apartment using a harmonium. That's cool. Yeah. And then, like, you know, just started adding more and more to it. And it grew from there to, like, 17 minutes long. It's a big... I mean, it's it's damn near a prog song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by the damn zone admissions. Like, yeah, it's pretty proggy. It was a huge risk for them. Yeah, it was. I mean, but this was something that Dave said like this was making music for the sake of making music yeah and vanian what he would do is that he would hum what he wanted like you know to captain sensible and then captain would put it to music with his guitar they did this a lot they would stay up all night working on it captain adding like the melancholy tune before the instrumental part Mm -hmm. so good very good and then like i i think they like by the end of the night i think it was actually not even the end of the night it was like noon the next day they were done (laughs) and they're like let's all go to the pub (laughs) we did it we finally did it well i mean this song was a risk like not necessarily uh because like their fans were just like oh you know fuck that song because it's not like back it's not like it was even like in the 90s or especially now where like you just kind of pop something at the very end and if people don't like it they just don't listen to it like including curtain call on this album cost money 
because Curtain Call made this a three-side LP. And for those of you who aren't record collectors, like I'll very quickly break down what this means. Back then, in the 70s and through the 80s, album length was limited by what you could fit on two sides of a record. And if you had more, then it needed to be released as a double album. Curtain Call, at 17 minutes long, took up an entire side of a record. Now, for the American release, we got fucked because the album, <laughs> they just didn't put out the double release. No. The album just fucking stops at the second to last song, which meant that American audiences didn't hear Curtain Call unless they had a UK import or until The Damned uh, played it live on tour. Unfortunately, the, U- the US version, that's the version I got in our collection right now. But we'll find the UK import eventually. <laughs> we'll fucking find it. Yeah, I mean, well, they also, they ended up doing um, what they had to do since they had three, like, they had a whole album and then they had a half of it, the second double album. They're like, well, what are we going to do? Fuck it. We're going to play live. Yeah, and uh, the, of course they went out to play. They filled up the fourth side with something. Uh, and, but they made the unfortunate decision to bring along a friend named Malcolm Owen, formerly of the ruts oh yeah malcolm owen uh he was the lead singer of the ruts he had just been fired from the band because of his insane drug use yeah and he was actually doing the really hard drugs yes uh heroin yeah and so like he was just in a bad place trying to sober up so damned asked him to come and join them on tour you know see if they could straighten him out at least and but only a few days before their first tour date, Malcolm was found dead in his parents' apartment from a heroin overdose. Yeah. I think he was only twenty six. Very young. Yeah, and so they I mean they later wrote a song about Malcolm, uh, The Limit Club in their Friday thirteenth EP. Uh, which they did after the Black Album. But, mm-hmm. I mean, like they were really good friends with the Ruts. This was a big loss to them. Malcolm Owen w- was a good friend. Uh, but, you know, the Ruts, they still had to go on. I mean, they decided to go on. They went on as uh, Ruts DC. Yeah. Even the Damned asked them, like, hey, do you just want to join our tour? I know you're you're devastated right now. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, the show sucked. <laughs> they, yeah. they were added to. They were added on to. Uh, they were plagued with sound problems, and there was a lot of tension and sadness in the air. Uh, but when they did the live recording at Shepperton Studios, they invited the Ruts to open, and, and they actually also invited their fan club, the Flashman Society. That's cool. Yeah, the Fla- in the Flashman Society isn't it a reference to some like late eighteen hundreds like. Penny detective novels or like an adventure novel or something yes, like that. Yeah. Yes, that's as yeah. far as I went with that. <laughs> I also Googled it and decided that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> so their fans from the fan club, they got treated to a free show, but it got a little messy because mm. a fight broke out and they had to redo like a couple songs. But, you know, it all worked out in the end. Everyone had a great time. Yeah. Now, even though reviews were mostly positive upon the release of the Black Album, a lot of people said, like, this is ambitious, this is really fucking cool, I'm glad to see the Damned doing this type of thing. The curse of the Damned struck once again when their temporary manager folded his company and stole all of the band's money. Oh, I know. Everything they had. Some guy, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Peter. Some Peter. Yeah, I mean, he took all their money that they made from their Black Album tour. Um, so, and after the tour, like, the band were like, we need our money. We have not seen our money. So they drove to his office. They fucking opened it up, and they saw it was, like, all empty. <sighs> They're like, fuck. And everyone was broke again. Yeah, I mean, these guys are, I mean, they're musicians. They're going to be living hand to mouth. And they're also not the most responsible savers in the world. No. <laughs> but we got a limo. Yeah. <laughs> 
remember that guy's that was cool yeah oh yeah. great good yeah. so uh rat and his dad john miller uh took over the business mm-hmm. uh the business side of things and the damned he was an accountant and so he did everything he could to get the band out of their contract with chiswick records yeah because now the band is like this is not funny anymore we need money yeah and john miller was a weird fucking dude yeah i think <laughs> he was always on acid <laughs> Yeah, he was just a straight, he was one of those like straight-laced accountant guys that just is secretly a very bizarre man. <laughs> now, adding to the woes of the damned was the fact that they had insisted on selling the Black Album as a single rather than a double, which meant that they were making next to nothing on album sales. Furthermore, the damned found that they didn't really have a place in the music scene anymore. They weren't synthy enough to be in like the Depeche Mode camp but they also weren't straight punk like they'd been on Triple D and Music for Pleasure. See, while the Damned were experimenting and doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do, punk had become, to put it simply, a thing. It's a thing now. It's a a thing now. Mom, it's a thing. (laughs) See, in the beginning, punk was about people doing whatever the fuck they thought was cool and fun. But in the intervening years, punk coalesced into a uniform and attitude, and adherence stuck to it with a maddening rigidity. Don't get me wrong here. Music was still plenty fucking good. See, British punk had split into street punk and anarcho-punk. On the street punk side, you had bands like the Cockney Rejects, the Exploited, and Sham 69. Yay! soldier in the sham army <laughs> i sure as hell am sure oh, oh, a, a little more a little more <laughs> bam it's soldier in the sham army yeah, yeah. all right cool <laughs> yes. what is your name maggot <laughs> all right so yeah there was street punk there was uh, punk was going off into so many different genres of there, course that's how it all, that's how it always is with every new like rock genre it's like Subgenres, because there's rock and there's so many different subgenres, and rock and so many different subgenres, and even that. Especially because punk is about identity sometimes. Very much so. And uh, in this in this sense, street punk was more like uh, un- unity among like the working class. Yeah. You know, or or even like blue collar punk. Like we're kids. Uh, you know, uh, we we want to stick it to our parents, and we want to <laughs> stick it to our teachers and the police, and you know, it was very much on the street. Yeah. Hence, street punk. Yeah. Or Oi, also, that came from there. Also. Uh, a lot of chanting. Yeah. A lot of... <laughs> and what James Percy said from... Uh, you know, James Percy from Shem 69. Mm-hmm. He said, like, punk to him was, like, just a platform to express himself. Like, he, he's like, this is how I feel. Yeah. Uh, I'm angry. I'm, uh, I'm bored. I'm tired. I'm whatever. The, I, I'm going to get riled up. Like, to him, that was important. The street punk bands, it's very explicit. There's not a lot of 
art to the lyrics. It is very straightforward. As far like it's very straightforward as like this is exactly what I'm thinking. This is exactly what I want to say. Uh, and I'm just gonna tell it to you through song. Exactly. Uh, and it's it's cool. It's fucking great. It's just it's very straightforward. The only problem is like sometimes people could see like a straightforward thing and then take it completely the wrong way. <laughs> that is very true. Yes. Unfortunately, the National Front yeah. started using it like kind of like like they did with the Hitler did with Nietzsche. Yeah. You know, uh, kind of like using it to protest their own ideals because it's fairly vague enough for them to just use it in, for their own agenda. You know, the, like the kids are united. Like James Percy had a very specific idea in his own head of like what the kids should be united for. But it was very open to interpretation who should be united. Ugh. And it wasn't necessarily like what it was not uh, straightforward what people should be united for. Uh, so unfortunately, yeah, really shitty people um, co-opted this music, co-opted street punk. Yeah, I know. And it was really a shame because it kind of led to the demise of Sham 69. Yeah. Uh, because of that. Because they had to deal with uh, fucking skinheads, like racist skinheads. Not even like the old school skinheads. Really not neo-Nazi racist skinheads going up and chanting, be like, we're huge fans of Sham 69. <laughs> and they're like, holy fuck. Yeah, red bootlace. We did not mean that. <laughs> yeah, the bad, what we think of skinheads as now, those are the guys that really started coming around street punk. Well, over on the anarcho-punk side of things and all of the interesting smells that followed, the band, <laughs> <laughs> the band that easily defined that genre was crass. <laughs> Crest was almost even more straightforward than street punk. You just need the lyric sheet to understand what the fuck they're saying. Yes. <laughs> you, need be, you need to be a Crestafarian, apparently. <laughs> so they say. So they say. Yeah, because, I mean, Crass, is, as well as other bands like Poison Girls like mm -hmm. that they played with, they were more political. Very much so. And, and they attacked other bands, too. I mean, not physically. No. But they're like, you know, sell out, uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I mean, like uh, music like the, the Clash. They're just like, The Clash, we don't relate to The Clash anymore. The Clash sold out. The Clash are wankers now. Yeah, I mean, they wrote whole songs about how The Clash are fucked and how much The Clash disappointed them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, these guys are just puppets for the socioeconomic uh, issues, uh, like like the Sex Pistols. I mean, uh, Crass, bands like Crass, like they... They, they were pretty good. Like, I do enjoy some of their music. A lot of it's a lot of the same. It is, yes. But it, there's it, a it message. Is, yeah, there is a, yeah, it, it is same-ish. 
Yeah. <laughs> but Captain Sensible really liked Crass. Yeah. Actually, he got to spend some time in their commune. Yeah. Wow. He's just walking around like, this is great. <laughs> because he really, like his politics and ideology kind of aligned with Crass's ideas of, you know, just the establishment should go down. Of course. And, and all that stuff. He, Captain Sensible even became a vegetarian after that. That's nice. Yeah. Well, this commune's great. Okay, see you later. I'm going back to my apartment now. <laughs> <laughs> he actually even worked uh, with the drummer from Crest for uh, his uh, his solo album, actually. Oh, uh, that's cool. They got to know each other well. Anarcho-punk being, uh, as you said, taking it a little bit further. Not only are we pissed, but we have to organize, yeah. right? Because uh, the street punks, are, they're like, yeah, we're about unity. But anarcho-punk was like, that's not enough. Yeah. We need to call out the sellouts, the right-wing politicians, or anyone who agrees with them. So if you are silent or agreeing with them, then you are with them. You are part of the problem. And that's what we'll do. We'll do it with music. <laughs> yeah, they did it. I mean, they did it well enough. Yeah, I mean, uh, and they lived their lives to that. They yeah. lived their lives to the fullest of, uh, to the T of their ideology. They were just like, there's no authority but yourself. Well, that's why I have great respect for like the anarcho-punk kids, at least like in the early days before it kind of became an excuse to it's just... It's a little luxury. It's, it's a very luxury, but the dudes walk the walk. You know, like mm -hmm. a lot of them do walk the walk. And, and later it did kind of devolve into, uh, you know, crust punk where it's just not really about ideology. It's more about like, I don't want to work. <laughs> like, I, I just, just how I look, man. Yeah. I just want to look like this. Yeah, yeah. But and yet, Crass, I have uh, immense respect uh, for Crass, even though, you know, I got to admit, I'm not the biggest. I'm not going to listen to Crass on my own a whole lot, but I have a huge, huge amount of respect for Crass. But even though the damned weren't really of these scenes, they were still given the biggest punk bands in history their first shots. While on tour for the Black Album, the damned played host to Black Flag on their first UK tour. Gimme, gimme, gimme! I need some more! Gimme, gimme, gimme! Go ask what for! One, two, three, four! Stand here like a loaded gun! I love Black Flag. I, I love, love Black Flag. <laughs> a, a lot of Black Flag. You, you can't always love all of Black Flag. No, no I, you, we love most of Black Flag. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this is the final show of the tour, December 1981, at London's Lyceum. And that's uh, actually, that's when Roman Jug uh, joined the band as a keyboardist. Roman Jug's a fucking great keyboardist. Yeah, we're going to hear a lot from him later. Um, obviously, one of the big key members of the Damned. And uh, so Captain meets Henry Rollins. And he's like, all right, we like you guys, but our fans are probably going to hate you. <laughs> Henry Rollins, of course, lead singer Black Flag. That's right. And Henry and the band are like, that, that, that doesn't matter. We're here. Yep. We're going to do this. This is awesome. We're going to have fun out there. Right, guys? All right, cool. <laughs> and it was true. Everyone hated Black Flag. They fucking couldn't stand him. I mean, so bad that they were being spat on and sometimes just 
flatly ignored. Yeah, that, that I think that was the big thing about it, and what I think really broke their hearts is that they were just ignored. That yeah. No, nobody just just nobody gave a shit. Yeah, and then uh, a little bit later, uh, Black Flag did get to play in a uh, huge punk festival, a uh, Christmas punk festival in Leeds, which the damned headline to like seven thousand people. And there, I mean, there are lots of other bands, but Black Flag was finally on the bill. They were going to fucking kill it this time, except for their rental van got towed. <laughs> so the UK subs had to help them out oh. by like taking their equipment for them. And the dam's like, hey, why don't you get a lift with us? You know, yeah. like, we'll take you over there. It's fine. It's totally fine. There, I forgot to mention the in the Lyceum show, there was a carrot incident. Clive Blake from uh, Anti Nowhere League. Uh, so he made a bet with Rat Scabies when they were backstage. It was a huge show, so that there was like a bunch of A and R people, record executives. They were all there, and so what Clive said is like, "I bet you I can clear out this room in a minute." <laughs> And Rat's like, I want to see that. So Clive goes over to the catering table, grabs a carrot, dips it in mayo or some sauces, and then puts it in his ass, <laughs> takes it out, and starts eating it. Uh, well, <sighs> everyone left. And just the whole crowd dispersed. Even Rat was like, oh, God, I got to go. I, I can't see this. Which, well, but it wasn't one of those things where like they run out of the room like the fucking baby Ruth and the swimming pool and Caddyshack. Like they, everyone just sort of like, I'm not going to stick around. I'm not going to be in the same room as this disgusting man. <laughs> yeah, everyone looked at their watches. <laughs> but the show went great. Well, the point here overall when it comes to the damned and the British punk scene is that they didn't really have anywhere to stand, if you know what I mean. Yeah. They just, there just wasn't... I mean, are they even punk anymore? I mean, yeah. Com- where compared are they? to the other punk bands? Yeah, and they're not really in the De- Depeche Mode camp either. Like, they're not, like, or fucking Culture Club, you know, like, which one of the former members of The Damned was now in. Like, the all of the, the really synthy bands of the 80s that are starting to get really big, like, they're not really in that camp either. They were adrift. And into that opening walked Captain Sensible's solo career, <laughs> which Sensible himself calls, quote, an amazing mistake. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was good and bad. Good and bad, yeah. Yeah, for a lot of things. I mean, a captain he recorded his album uh, "This Is Your Captain Speaking" on Crass Records, uh, but then he really, really went solo, and he went big time solo. Uh, he'd been recording demos uh, with this uh, musician uh, turned full time producer Tony Mansfield, so they started working together and you know co writing a lot of the music for his second album because he signed with A and M Records. Yeah, because Captain so he said- sold out. Sorry, Crass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Captain Sensible always had like pop, a pop sensibility, but he knew that those the songs that he had and the the pop sensibility that he had, it just wasn't going to work with the Damned. And it right. was yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't like I want to be a pop artist instead. It's more like, hey, I've got these pop songs that I'd like written. I know they're not right for the Damned. I'm going to put them out myself. Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of times that he, I mean, he was always writing music. And there are a lot of times when he's just like, this is not right for the damn. And so what he did was just make this other album. Mm-hmm. And uh, he even had his backing band, uh, Dolly Mixture. They were, at, they were a band on their own, uh, Three Girls. Nice. And uh, he, I think he ran into them at a show. He saw them play and thought like, oh, you guys are so great. He ran backstage. He's like, I need to produce your next record, which he did. And then he's like, all right, now you are my backing band. <laughs> 
Do they sing backup vocals as well? I think so. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it it was a uh, they recorded a Captain's solo album, Women and Captains First. Uh, it's, it's very Captain centric. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he did say like, I'm not the only captain. Okay, all captains. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. So that and his biggest hit of the album was, of course, the incredibly infectious Happy Talk. Because he was going through his parents' record collection, he found a soundtrack of South Pacific. He sung the vocals super drunk in like five minutes and said, <laughs> that will be a hit. Yep, that's it. And here it is. We've talked about it a couple of times. <laughs> this is Happy Talk. as confused as you are well <laughs> i mean now they don't really play that on south pacific because it's a little bit racist oh is it i mean it's kind of like the whole asian talk of me love you long time it just sounds oh. it's not right it's not right <laughs> oh i did not realize that yeah but i mean you know what i do love the uh Daniel Johnston did a cover of it, of Happy no Talk. Oh shit. Yeah, uh, 1989 uh, with piano. It's so good. I'm going to have to listen to that. I don't know how that, that I don't know how that escaped my attention. That's oh. fucking great. Yeah, it's spooky. Yeah. It, it's spooky. Sorry, <laughs> it's spooky. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's like Carolina said like Happy Talk. It's just a cover from the musical South Pacific and they recorded it as an afterthought. Uh, but and that's what confuses me about it is that the way they talk about this song is that everybody who heard it said that's a hit yeah <laughs> like captain sensible recorded goes that's a hit the record company heard it and said that's a hit and they were all right yeah like happy talk entered the charts at number 33 and spent two weeks as the number one record in the uk and it's still seen as a nostalgic hit to british people the world over yeah it's fucking it's crazy. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Rat Scabies walks out onto the street and then there's buses with Captain Sensible's face on it everywhere. He's like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I don't know how, but yeah, it's it, it skyrocketed Captain Sensible to fame. He yeah. was famous and his entire life changed. Oh. Uh, uh, probably not much for the better. No, I mean, he, he lived for like a year. Like he lived uh, the whole year. He was. He said it was like free beer. I never paid for beer. <laughs> I was like, can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of free beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I mean, he went on tour. He was hobnobbing with fancy people. He's, you know, being invited to all these like lobster dinner places. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, it did help the band for sure. Yeah. Since Captain was already, he was always doing like TV and radio uh, appearances and promoting The Damned as well as his solo career. So he was always mentioning like, oh, but watch out for The Damned. The Damned's great too. That's my band. That's my first love. And it's really cool. But what they also said is that a lot of people showed up to Damned shows expecting happy talk and very quickly asked for their money back. Well, they're like, I didn't expect all this filth. <laughs> the best part is when like these families would show up to damn shows <laughs> with their kids oh, because man. I want to hear happy talk. <laughs> yes, okay, little Timmy. Yeah. Here he comes and then Captain Sensible comes on stage drunk, screaming, cursing, yelling about that cunt Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> and is very soon naked showing his uncircumcised penis to the entire room. Timmy, we'll look away, look away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they asked for their money back. Very fast, yeah. But yeah, that's what they said about the captain, is that he became grandma's favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knew Captain so- I mean, he was on kid shows. Like, he was showing up in all kinds of weird fucking places. <laughs> Meanwhile... Things in the damned proper, even though Captain Sensible was constantly promoting them, things in the damned proper were not going well. It had been two years since the Black Album, and when they went into the studio to record their next album, things actually got physical. Oh, well, it gets physical all the time. Yeah, but not in the studio yet. I mean, it's just Dave Vinian is only fired a shotgun at people once <laughs> <laughs> there hadn't been any studio fights yet oh, yes, right. they, oh, yes there the have been fights fight. in the van and yes there have been fights on the sets of music videos but none in the studio well they went back to rockfield studios right the place that they trashed and uh but it was all nice and cleaned up again they're recording their new album uh things were fun at first they said for the first few weeks but then things got tense uh, Paul Gray's girlfriend used her connections to get them a record deal with Bronze Records. So that means John Miller, Rat's dad, steps down. Ah. So there's a little bit of a power play here. Yeah. And of course, Bronze Records was the uh, same label that put out Suicide's first record in the UK. So they were working with Hugh Jones again. Uh, poor Hugh Jones, who hadn't slept in like years. <laughs> <laughs> and one night they were recording uh, Pleasure and the Pain when a rat heard it. And he's like, I don't want that on the album. He doesn't want it on the album because Paul Gray had written the song. Ah. And it was like. And that was a final straw with Rat. He's like, I don't, I just don't think it's very good. I'm sorry, I just don't like it. So what ended up transpiring is that there were some words between Rat and Paul, and then they ended up getting into a fist fight, and it was really bad. And like he was like barricading himself in his room. He's just like, I don't want to deal with this. And then Rat's girlfriend shows up, and Paul's girlfriend show up, and they start fighting <laughs> with each other. I mean, everyone was getting in on it. So. Uh, apparently like they said like Rat left he's like that's it I'm going home and then other people said that Paul left he's like no I'm going home Uh, eventually they kind of made up a little bit like a little handshake All right, now now hug fine and they uh, ended up finishing the album but things were really different from then on though yeah of course and and this was a, a very tense recording because right before they went into the studio they looked at their bank account and I think they had something like 500 pounds left and they said like all right we can either divvy this up among us and go our separate ways or we can go record at least one more album and they chose the album and that's a lot of pressure to work under yeah i mean they i mean they were already 
kind of pissed off that Captain Sensible was too busy all the time. He yeah. had a crazy, insane schedule while he's trying to deal with, you know, his band and his solo career. But at least they end up making uh, strawberries. One of their best fucking records. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they call it, you know why they called it strawberries, right? Yeah. Because they were on tour, they're playing their songs, and everyone's like, neat, 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 new rose. And they're like, oh, God, these guys. I mean, like, they're, they're fucking assholes. I just want to hear the new songs. You know, it's like 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 feeding uh, strawberries to a pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is that Captain Sensible was barely there. Uh, he showed up when he could, and but even with that, and even with the fist fights, the band still managed to put out a great fucking record. Possibly their last great one, depending on your tastes when it comes to the damn. Some people love anything. Some people love Phantasmagoria. There's a lot of shit after this album, but you know, some people consider this the high point. This is a great album, but Phantasmagoria. Okay, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Let's listen to the lead-off track. smell like strawberries <laughs> strawberries does smell like strawberries yeah the strawberries so yeah yeah the album, the, the album yeah. itself i think it was dave's idea just like the black album was dave's idea he designed the whole thing so yeah. you know he, he's very good he's very good at his visual art oh yes well the funny thing about strawberries is that one of the tracks just might have inspired one of the biggest tracks of the 90s or put another way one of the biggest bands of the 90s totally swiped a riff that had already been swiped from the Damned. <laughs> See if this cascade from the Damned through the 80s and to the 90s sounds familiar.
the damned, then the killing joke, uh-huh. then Nirvana. Yep, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's not an original thought. <laughs> What's next? It's pretty well known. <laughs> well, besides Life Goes On, which is the song that has that guitar intro that was swiped by the killing joke, which was swiped by Nirvana, and it's a fucking great song. The whole song is great. Strawberries has plenty of absolute fucking bangers, with quite a few of those delayed all-fuck yeahs that I mentioned earlier, especially in the lead single from the album, Generals. Big city, all stretched out, revenge is not so sweet. Once proud, once sold devout, they're tired and they are weak. They came from east to west, counting up the Stars who to arrive, they know that all is lost, and only the wounded remain. The generals have all left the game. With no will to fight, they'll fade with the light. There's nobody left they can blame. What once was decades. I mean, the damned weren't always completely original. It's pretty much a strangler song. <laughs> <laughs> Who is? <laughs> pretty soon after Strawberries was released, Paul Gray decided he'd had enough of this shit and left the band. Yeah, he left. Uh, he joined UFO. He got a call from UFO. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go with you guys. <laughs> and then he apparently he waited until the night before their Strawberries tour. Ugh. Yes, and said, uh, "I'm gonna go. I'm sorry." Rat was so bitter about this yeah. that he actually tried to have uh, Paul's song killed. Of- <laughs> His dog dead. His wife dead. No, she can go. <laughs> yeah, no, he he actually tried to get get uh, the Paul's songwriting credits uh, on Pleasure and the Pain and Generals removed, but wow. the publisher eventually gave him a four way split. But you don't see it on the album. Ah, I know. But then, you know, they eventually they were like, all right, Paul Gray is gone. They replaced him with Bryn Merrick. There you go. Bryn Merrick. And yeah, and Bryn Merrick, a great fucking bassist in his own right. Now, after replacing Paul Gray, the Damned kept playing, and eventually they booked a guest spot on the classic British sitcom, The Young Ones. Oh, yeah. Have you ever watched The Young Ones? Uh, no. It was fucking great. It was on MTV uh, when I was a kid, before you came to America. Uh, it's fu- We should actually watch it when we get home. It's fucking amazing i watched some clips of it this morning and, and you, you know it's a hit or miss yeah. <laughs> oh of course a, a it is hit yeah. or miss. <laughs> it absolutely is but yeah it's it's a really fun show um, but i'm also i might ha- have uh memories of watching it when i was like 14 uh <laughs> and thinking it was really fucking good then i haven't watched it in a very long time but i do remember i do remember loving it well they got to play uh, a new song on the young ones because they decided hmm they want us to play an old song but if we write a new song and we record it and then we play it then we get publishing rights and then we get money (laughs) 
Fred, getting we smarter. Need money. I would imagine that's a John Miller idea. Yes. <laughs> so no, John Miller. He's got. He's doing acid somewhere else. <laughs> oh, he's gone by this yes. point. So, They're probably on manager ten, eleven, or twelve. Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, so what they did is that they got Roman Jug and Dave Vanian. They, they both got together. They wrote the song "Nasty," which is a great song. I love this song. It's a, and they played it on the Young Ones episode, where it's like a very spooky episode <laughs> with. Cotton Webs and, and they're all in pale faces and Victorian clothes. Everyone had caught up with Dave's image, finally. Everyone except Captain, who was still just doing his own Captain thing. Of course. Uh, so becoming goth wasn't anything new in Dave's act. I mean, it wasn't his act. It was his way of life. It's like, yeah, it was like I've always just, been like this. Yeah, it was just who he was, yeah. And everyone kind of catching up, being like, we're going to do this, because Captain Sensible keeps... You know, rescheduling, leaving. He can't be there all the time. He's got other commitments. So we're going to follow Dave Vanian's, like, kind of lead a little bit. And we're going to take it more Dave style because he's the front man. And so they're all going to wear all these, like, interview with the vampire frilly blouses. <laughs> Which, by the way, Dave Vanian, huge fan of interview with the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Why did Big they ask me guy. to be Lestat? <laughs> I'll never know. But uh, so they were starting their like goth phase. Yeah. You know, it was a phase, but I mean, it worked so well. Not a phase, mom. (laughs) Not a phase. But I mean, when they did their 1982 or a strawberries tour, I mean, they already had elements of that when they had like the nuns singing and dancing and like a huge like church, gothic church backdrop. Uh, You know, this is all designed by Dave. So it's already creeping in little by little at this point. Yeah. Well, not too long after that appearance on The Young One. So Captain Sensible, I mean, Captain Sensible at this point, he's fucking ragged because he is playing a show in France as Captain Sensible, flying back to England, playing with the damned or recording with the damned and then going, wake, sleeping maybe three hours, waking up, flying back to Belgium to do like a TV appearance. He's doing this every fucking day. So he had to choose one. Solo career or The Damned? And he chose the one that was making him money. Yeah, the solo career. He chose the solo career. Yeah, like you said, Captain was exhausted. He was getting sick all the time. He would show up like really, really sick with awful colds and hangovers because he'd just been expending himself so much. And he just couldn't commit to both, even though he really wanted to. It took like, I think, a couple years. And he's like, I just can't do this. Yeah. And, and there was already tension within the group, too. Like Rat was taking in a lot of the band's responsibilities. And he felt like very unappreciated for his efforts because Rat was like kind of taking the business side now rats like put, putting down the beer and getting to work well i think rats also starting to like i think he's has kids around this time as well yeah i mean yeah he's starting to form a family so he's starting to get his shit together right exactly i mean so did captain sensible like i mean they were making babies that uh they they had a lot of responsibilities and so rats like no no more partying well man, okay fine a little bit of partying a little bit, yeah. but, but a lot of business we're gonna get down to business and i and i feel like they that was when rat said like i felt distant from captain from then on because i was taking this the damn so seriously and Captain was barely pulling in as much as he could. And the band really needed money. I mean, they had no record company at the time. Yeah. And so, I mean, the band, like, while the, even while they waited for Captain Sensible to finish up, they, like, they would record as, a, like, a Naz Nomad in the Nightmares, you know, doing a few songs, doing a few shows, like, trying to get a little bit of money here and there. Uh, and and I think one of the final straws was when uh, the Dam tried to get a record deal with CBS, 
which fell through because they felt Captain wouldn't be able to commit. Yeah. And also, he already had a dual personality of happy talk and is this drunk punk guy. And so they CBS kind of walked away from that. And there was a lot of tension with Rat being like, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. We were this close to being signed to like, ah, yeah. major label. And so they played their last show with Captain in August at Brockwell Park in London. And just a few weeks later, Captain called the band members up and told them he was leaving the Damned. So at this point now, it's Dave Vanian, Rat Scabies, Bryn Merrick, and uh, Roman Jug moving from keyboards to guitar. And this is the, the Damned Mark V? Mark Six. I've lost count. <laughs> How many beers have you had? <laughs> But with Captain Sensible and all of his attendant bullshit out of the picture, Dave Vanian truly became the focus of the band. And as Rat Scabies put it, it was time to sell Vanian by the pound. <laughs> it's fucking such a gross way to put it. Okay. <laughs> and the song that sold it, which hit number two in the UK, but again, never quite made it over here, was a cover song called Eloise. She knows I'm there, and heaven knows I hope she goes I find it hard to realize that love was in her eyes It's dying now She knows I'm crying now Great cover, yeah. yeah and the, uh, the guy who originally recorded it says, like, no, nah, that's Dave Vanian's song now. Yeah, Barry Ryan. Yeah. Barry and Paul Ryan, who uh, released this song in 1968. I think they made it to number two mm-hmm. or number three or something. But uh, it was a big hit back in the 60s. Huge hit. Uh, but so things were going great for The Damned at this point, finally. I mean, even without Captain Sensible, I mean, the year before they recorded Phantasmagoria, which I love. And uh, they had a really big hit with uh, Grimly Fiendish. And then they also recorded a song, Deadbeat dance for the soundtrack of the return of the living dead which is an amazing soundtrack yes so i mean they were doing pretty well already finally getting some money in feeding the babies yeah actually let's listen to a track from phantasmagoria let's listen to grimly fiendish yes
So yeah, it's a bit of a departure from neat, neat, neat. <laughs> yeah, but man. they're evolving. It's great. No, Dave Vanian really is king of the goths. Mm. Whether they give him credit or not, god damn it, <laughs> he is. Yes. But since the Dan were now kind of hit makers, I mean, they had a number three, they had a number two, all of a sudden, fucking BBC DJs were bragging how they'd seen the damned back in shitty clubs back in the late 70s. I mean, in other words, being a punk was now respectable. Like, once you got to the mid-80s. All these people that have been fucking telling the damned that they were shit for years are now all of a sudden bragging that they saw the damned way back in the day. <laughs> oh, well, thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Now, this right here, this was actually the Dam's most successful period, with the most record sales and the biggest shows. But, as Rat put it, with a tear in his eye, it's very sad to see Rat talk about this, they'd gotten everything they'd ever dreamed of, but when they sat down in a fully stacked studio afterward, nobody knew what to play. He said mm. nobody had the will to play. It just wasn't, the magic just wasn't there anymore. It took forever to climb that mountain. Yeah, and then once they got to the top of it, it was... Can I just sit down? <laughs> they got, they're tired. <laughs> yeah, they were very tired. And they're new band members. I mean, they're fractured in so many ways. I mean, like, at this point, like, it, it was hard for them to keep going. I mean, they were getting older as well. They, they, they had families. They yeah. had their own lives. So, Rat left, and in the late 80s, the damned broke up once again. All right, Rat tells it differently. <laughs> Rat always tells it differently. He said that Bryn, David, and Roman uh, came to him and said that they were leaving the band. Ah. So, like, yeah, because Bryn and Roman were going to go with Dave in the Phantom Chords. Yes, the Phantom Chords being, yeah, Dave's uh, it's somewhat side project. Main project for a bit, but, yeah, side project. Yeah, yeah, and so Rat was like, I guess I'm kicked off the band since everyone left the band. Yeah, but this breakup, was, of course, short-lived, as it always is with the Damned. They can never stay away from each other for more than a year or two. Yeah. And in 1991, the Damned reformed and started touring with the original lineup, including Brian James. He's back. He's back. Brian James is back. I mean, he did a lot of uh, solo stuff, and, and he had his he formed his own bands, and now he's finally yeah. back. I mean, they still like got together even before then, like 1988. They played a few shows, and they even recorded a live album, uh, Final Damnation. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they've always kind of been speaking to each other here and there. Uh, but in 1991, they they got together for a U.S. tour, and where the original four would play, then Captain afterwards and the second part would switch to guitar, and Paul Gray would come in to play bass. I would have loved to see this fucking show. This is a, it's a, it's kind of the this is the show to see if you're going to see the damned. Like this I know. this is the tour. Yeah. This is the tour. This is amazing. Like you get everybody. This is so cool. And then the tour was like slotted for like what 11 dates and then by the third date Brian left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean and he kind of I don't know, man. Okay. Here's what happened. <laughs> this is Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, Washington, D.C. So it's 1991 and Guns N' Roses. Right. It's about to release The Spaghetti Incident, which was their cover album. I mean, it's, it's the last one with like Slash and Axel, uh, but it's a covers album. And Guns N' Roses, at this point, this is coming off of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. They've been touring the world with Metallica for two years straight. Guns N' Roses is arguably the biggest band in the world. So having a song on a Guns N' Roses album means you're fucking set. 
and Brian James, of course, had written New Rose. And New Rose was the second track on the Spaghetti Incident. So they're at this show in D.C. And Brian James is, for some reason, he's terrified that New Rose isn't going to make the cut for the record. Well, he needs to feed his family. Yes, he needs to feed his family. He like doesn't, He doesn't want to piss off anyone, especially Axel. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so easy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to piss off ever. And he doesn't want to piss off anyone. And Captain Sensible goes on stage and said, like, here's a new song from fine young boys named Guns N' Roses. It's called New Rose. <laughs> and Brian James just takes down his guitar, <laughs> walks off stage. Walks off stage. It's a bit of an overreaction. He saw Captain Sensible as not taking this seriously. Uh, and I think he was afraid that if I'm going to be hanging out with Captain Sensible, he might fuck this up for me. So the next day, Brian James left. Yeah. He just never left. Never played with them again. Yeah, never played with them again. All because of this song right here. Fine cover. Yeah, it's pretty good. I thought it was fucking amazing when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> it was my fa- it was my favorite song uh, on this album. I mean, but you know, really with Guns N' Roses, this was kind of cool of them to do this cover record because a lot of punk bands got a lot of fucking money from having songs on this record. Like the New York Dolls got money, the Stooges got money, the Dead Boys got money, the Damned got money. Oh, like, so great for everybody. Yeah, Johnny Thunders. Uh, like a lot of fucking people got a lot of cash from Axl Rose and the gang putting this whole thing together. And I think that was kind of the point of it. But from there, animosity started forming between members, or really between members and Rat. He and Vanian got into a fight about Dave playing a show with the Phantom Chords. So Rat just wrote Vanian off forever. It's, of course, a little more complicated it's than that. It's very complicated. <laughs> it, it's a lot of Dave's like, I never said I was going to do that. Yeah. Uh, and then Rat just went off on his own to do that. And I had to go sue the, these people. It's a lot of business talk that we really don't have to get into too much. Yeah, we really don't. It, it's not It's not that interesting. It's just a couple. Of, it's bickering. Yeah. You know, and it's business. Then there was the big kerfuffle between Captain Sensible and Rat Scabies, which to this day no one is quite sure exactly what it's about and why these two fucking despise each other. They really do. I mean, they respect each other enough as musicians that they will at least be like, yeah, he's a great drummer. Yes, he's a great guitarist and songwriter. Sure. But when it gets personal, it gets ugly. And these are things that no one really talks about. I mean, it's mentioned, uh, they're questioned about it, and no one really gets down to the bottom of it. Yeah, I mean, they've uh, asked, like Captain Sensible's asked in the documentary, it's like, what would it take for you and Rat Scabies to make up? And Captain Sensible said, for him to stop being a fucking cunt. And, and then, it's not. And, <laughs> it's and just Rat's a, like, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, I'm unable to do that. That's also, how about Captain Sensible stop being a fucking cunt? Uh, yeah, Captain's like, I also can't do that. <laughs> I mean, possibly, like, part of it has to do with the rights to uh, Damn, Damn, Damn. Because uh, in 
England how bankruptcy works uh, is Stiff Records went bankrupt. Right. Uh, and so the rights to Damn Damn Damned went up to auction and Rat Scabies and Dave Vanian bought them together. But under British law, they did not owe anybody else anything. They owned those songs outright and did not have to give money to anybody. Uh, but Captain Sensible started making a stink about, hey, none of the rest of us are getting any money from these songs. Vanian and Scabies are keeping it all. I think Vanian gave up his share pretty easily. But with Scabies, it was a fight, and right. it was a big fight, and it was a public fight, and it made Scabies look really fucking bad. It made him look very greedy, and I think because of that, that's why that's part of the reason why yeah. they can't stand each other. It started with something. It started with something small, and then it just. I think they talked enough shit about each other in public and in private because they would some like sensible would say like, "Yeah, I was at a wedding the other day, and I heard." that rat had called me all sorts of nasty fucking names or maybe it was rat saying i was at a wedding and sensible called me all sorts of nasty fucking names i don't know it's completely they're a interchangeable couple of fucking teenagers yeah like <laughs> they're, yeah. yeah they're they're a couple of they're kids you know like, and they remain so uh to this day and that's the thing though is that rat does talk a fair amount of shit about everyone yeah like talks it like when he's talking about like brian james leaving the 1991 tour he's like and uh He's a drinker. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like he's some fucking housewife. I know. <laughs> they they I mean whatever rift they're going with oh they're going on uh it, it's just it's really sad because even Dave Vanian said himself he's like man like they're really gonna regret it yeah when they are one of them passes away yeah they're really gonna regret it. But the interesting thing about the uh, the rights to Damn 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 is what happened in 2014. That year was the 35th anniversary of the album. So Captain Sensible and Dave Vanian, who'd been playing as the Damned for well over a decade at that point, they booked a tour to play every song on the album live. Every song, that is, except Stab Your Back, which just so happened to be the only song from Damn Damn Damned written by Rat Scabies. Right. And the reason why they didn't play it is because Captain Sensible refused to do so. Captain was just like, I just don't think it's a good song. <laughs> I, I, it sends a bad message. Stab, stabbing? Really? That's that's violent. We should not have that on the tour. It's a very uh, lame excuse to not play it. But when Captain Invanian began touring Triple D, Ratscabies and Brian James decided to do the exact same thing at the exact same time, which meant that at one point in history, two halves of The Damned were both playing the UK, playing the same album at the same time, but at different shows. Yeah. <laughs> fine. fine. That's fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. If you guys can't even fine. be in the same room together, yeah. fine. Because Vanian owns half of it and Rad owns half of it. So they were both <laughs> able to do it at the same time and, it did, and neither one of them could do anything about the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins, really? <laughs> Go listen to 
Damn, Damn, Damned, Machine Gun Etiquette, The Black Album, Strawberries, Phantasmagoria. Like those five Anything albums. Anything's also great. Their their cover of Alone Again or is a uh, fucking fantastic. The 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 love song. Um, that by I mean the band by the band Love, or, <laughs> or I mean the song by the band Love. Yes. Um. Yeah. Just go listen to any of those albums because the Damned actually could craft albums as a piece of art, and that's kind of lost. Uh. So those. Five albums right there, uh, five and a half. Go fucking check them out. If you want to hear the Masters do it, if you want to hear Masters put together a fucking fantastic album uh, with songs that aren't immediately satisfying, but once they do satisfy, they'll fucking hit you right in the ass. (laughs) Go listen to The Damned. And that's The Damned. That's it? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, that's The Damned. I know. There's just a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of, of, because they're they're each individuals in their own way, with their own likes, their own genres, and coming together, and then moving apart Mm -hmm. together here and there. It, It does get complicated, but really, at the end of the day, it's just, the music's still there. Music's still there, and music's still fucking great. Yeah. Well, I uh, want to say, I mean, the the music submissions that we've got. Oh, yes. Fuck. So good. We were listening <laughs> to them. There's so many good bands out there. Well, we fi- we finally got a chance to go through all the submissions that we asked for on uh, on Suicide Part 2. We finally got, I mean, we still haven't gotten through all of them because we got so many. And there's so many fucking great bands uh, that have submitted to us. So thank you so much if you've, uh, if you've sent us a song yeah. or sent us an album or anything like that. Thank you. We're still working our way through them. We'll uh, still put them out every week. And uh, also, like, I've become... I'm a fan of a few of those. Yeah. yeah so like, I hope I hope we get to play them too. Yeah, I hope we get to play. I mean, because that's the thing. There's We're going to have too many bands. <laughs> so this might continue like into season two of this show where it we're should. like still working through this. Uh, but uh, the, our first band, we've chosen uh, our first band uh, for uh, the show to play. Uh, they're from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, they are a, a band that doesn't have a hell of a whole lot out there as far yep. as music goes. But I... Am so fucking impressed by this band. They're called. So good. They're called Duckus. D U C K I S. Uh, I really don't know a hell of a whole lot about them. No, I don't think they. <laughs> I mean, it's it's okay because I mean, you could just check out their music on Spotify. Yeah, check it. No, actually, they're not on Spotify. They're only on. They're on uh, Bandcamp. Uh, they uh, are selling a uh, cassette release through their record label, R.I.P. Records. Uh, this just came out this year. They they just released this uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, the album is called Lick It Up. <laughs> uh, it's you know for fans of uh, you know the Sleater Kenny, uh, yeah yeah yeahs like early early yeah yeah yeahs you know Karano getting a little bit fucking more raw with it. Uh, this band they're able to work as a, a cohesive unit. Uh, you can hear they really enjoy playing with each other. At least I, I that's how I imagine it. Uh, but they seem like great fucking kids. Uh, and they're putting out some really good music uh, that sounds uh, fresh and familiar at the same time, uh, which is something you really fucking want with a band. Yeah, these uh, guys rock. So check out the uh, song off of the album, Lick It Up. The song is Ohio by Duckus. What is it? <laughs> what is it? I saw the- 